Hey, what's up, and welcome to Movie Dumpster Season 4, Episode 19. Today we're talking about Bad Moon from 1996, directed by Eric Red. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor Bad Moon Rising McGraw. And I'm C.B. Smith. Welcome to the Dumpster. was the best I can come up with in the fucking Eva moment. God damn it. I see a bad moon rising. Yeah, yeah. John Fogarty, uh, Connor Fogarty McGraw. <laughs> yeah. I would accept it. Uh, Connor Goodest Boy McGraw. You know, I was. <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome, welcoming CB Smith back to the show. How the hell are you? Oh, it's been super busy, um, but the spooky season is now upon us, and I have gotten all of my pumpkin spice for the week. Dude, I'm right there with you. And then get more next week. I got <laughs> I got some pumpkin spice Twinkies, pumpkin spice Kit Kats, pumpkin spice coffee, pumpkin spice... Oh, uh, well, that's about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, these two are secretly blonde white girls. It's true. <laughs> well, I am blondish, so... Uh, half right. <laughs> I just like pumpkin everything. I'm I'm Halloween boy through and through. I like pumpkin pie, and that's where I draw the line. That's it. I don't like I don't like pumpkin in anything else. Now here's a funny thing. I only eat pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> Ooh. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing about that though, just based on the way this conversation's going, I think it's a three to one, Connor. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I freaking make homemade pumpkin pie. It's great. Oh my god. Oh dude. Oh, if we ever get together for like a friendsgiving or something, dude, I make a fireball pumpkin pie. Ooh. Oh man. Yeah. Us non-alcoholics would call that cinnamon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it all cooks off. <laughs> you somehow offer me the best transition. Like, my thing for Halloween and, like, fall is apple cider. Ooh, yeah. That's what I go to. No, no, it's fine. And, well, and, people, like, it's funny because uh, when you realize you work with a bunch of people from the West Coast, because they're like, oh, my guys drink apple cider? They go, yeah. I'm like, oh, you drink it hot? They go, what? What? Yeah, well, it's hot out, Connor. <laughs> God damn it. Half a half, half a cider. What's wrong with you? I was like, what do you mean? You put cinnamon in it? You fucking throw it in the microwave? They have never experienced a nice fall, a crisp fall night with some nice hot cider in their hand, dude. Yeah. Well, and like, it's uh, like, there's there's like orchards and stuff out here, so you can go apple picking. But I'm like, yeah, but what's your idea of apple picking? Because my idea of apple picking is going into a dense brush where it's just like where I civilization and I have broken up <laughs> and I can just flee from my family and start climbing trees and knocking apples the size of my heads out of trees. <laughs> what apple farm have you been to? <laughs> the ones in the guts of New Jersey. Oh, my God. Oh, man. You've been to all the wrong ones. I am with Connor on that one. I've I've climbed into apple trees and dropped a whole bunch of my friends' heads while they chuck them at my head while in the tree. Yeah, apple picking is the fucking best. Like when you get to this like just giant dense piece of property where it's like the owner's like, yeah, I don't give a shit, whatever, go buy what you want. Just come into the general store and buy some pie on your way out. And I do. <laughs> Speaking of apple cider, real quick, this is coming out at the end of September, so we're right, we're right up on October, guys. We're right, we're almost getting ready for trick or trash. But you know what? Let me help you out here. You can pause this recording right after I tell you how to make this, right? Go get yourself some apple cider. You're gonna make a stone wall. That's what this drink is called. You get the apple cider. You get some bourbon. A little bit of mint leaves, some ice. Now you're talking. Mm -hmm. Nice fall drink. 
and uh, mm. and then listen to some Bad Moon. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> the other alternative is to take some uh, take some Fireball, like Joe mentioned, and just dump it into a bottle of Apple uh, Angry Orchard and just w- wait until your bowels explode. Oh yeah, that that's actually a good drink. <laughs> you will vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just a simple man with simple tastes. I have some apple. <laughs> I got some apple wine in the fridge. I'll I'll drink to that. Oh, there you go. Nice. That sounds pretty uh, scrumptious. Yeah. Uh, now I just want some more mead. Fuck. But, but uh, yeah. oh, dude, sign me up for mead. Yeah. Actually, that's what it is. It's just mead. Oh, yes. I'm going to find that. Oh, uh, mead's so good. But yeah, so that was our fall culinary talk. Um, <laughs> we are human beings outside of watching these movies and reading these books. Yeah, go figure, right? Yeah, we do things. Well, some of us. Others are locked in a cage. Uh, I don't know. Wait, what am I talking about? Anyway, CB. Uh, Dobby? Are you talking about Dobby, by the way? <laughs> Maybe. I can't do anything. I'm immobile. I have no muscle mass. <laughs> CB Smith joins us back in a main line episode guys this is no this is no book to the movie this ain't your grandma's book to the movie all right this is a movie dumpster mainline episode episode 419 um what is cooking dude glad to have you back because now we can now we can bullshit we 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 all watched the movie you had read the 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 novel which we'll get into but uh but how the hell is it hanging what you've been working on where can people find you well, you can find me on my channel. It is called CB Smith, uh, or has, as one commenter put it uh, in one of my videos, I am the book to the movie guy. Book to the movie guy. <laughs> Reputation perceives me. Is that a, is that a is that a bad title or is that a good title for you? I accept that title. Okay. With full honors. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm working on a very very big project for Halloween. Unfortunately, I don't even think it's going to be able to come out by then uh, on Dracula. Uh, similar treatment, oh. similar treatment that I did to Frankenstein last year, including uh, culminating at the end with the sequel to Frankenstein Unbound, Dracula Unbound by the same author. Oh well, I well I went to uh, you know seventeen uh, hundreds uh, Romania and I had sex with Bram Stoker. I sure did. After I killed the last living humans on Earth for fun with a Gatling gun attached to my car. <laughs> According to the book, at least. Yeah. I need the escapades of fucking Joe Buchanan bumping around. Wait, well, is he in Ireland? Because is that that's where uh, Bram Stoker's from, right? Stoker is Irish, uh, but he spent most of his time in England. Okay, so he's bopping around, what, England? Yeah, he's bopping around England. He's never actually been to Romania. He just wrote a bunch of travel books when he wrote Dracula. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. A lot of people did that shit back then. Uh, Smith and I briefly talked about people writing around that time period and how all the hearsay kind of shit and tall tales and stuff mm-hmm. got around anyway um but yeah uh check back uh, on my channel uh in a couple weeks maybe a month from now uh, i will be putting up uh the first video which will be the universal dracula and then bram stoker's dracula the coppola version and then finally culminating to Dracula Unbound, a little special treat since there actually is no video uh, adaptation of that one. Oh, that's a Snickers for sure. Yeah, man. I, I For me anyway, I'm looking forward to munching, biting into that, sticking that fucking Snickers bar right in my ears and eyes. It's like a deep fried uh, Snickers, honestly. It's like an extra treat. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Pumpkin spice uh, deep fried Snickers. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that sounds vile. <laughs> I Stick it in my mouth. Yeah. Put it in me. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. Shut up and stick it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. His famous last words. <laughs> 
but that's that's so cool. Uh, really, we're really looking forward to that, and uh, very proud of you growing your channel, young man, and your Patreon. <laughs> Where can everybody find your Patreon stuff? If you want to support me, so I can get better equipment to not have more technical difficulties, uh, you can support my channel at patreon.com forward slash cbsmith taking a page hell yes head over to that patreon support me the, the the guy does great work cb does fantastic work he he's very dedicated to his craft and reading uh all these books for you for you folks and given his uh thoughtful insightful opinions um sans all of the dirtiness that you get in this show <laughs> so you can have an actual academic with funny jokes and him not talking about you know fucking uh uh john hurt or John Hurt fucking Bram Stoker, rather, you know what I'm saying? Or Cumdar, or Cum in general. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I've also... I've, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know, man. I, I get on my fair share of dirty jokes. One of my most watched videos <laughs> is, is a portal from the 60s. like <laughs> The smut. Everybody wants the smut, right? I, I, I mean, I guess he doesn't go so low as, you know, corpse fucker and Cumdar. Yeah. And loved in the uh, leprechaun, but... He's a little bit more eloquent with his humor. The funny thing the funny thing about that is that, like, I've been so resistant because I think the entire idea of Cumdar is fucking revolting. That's the joke <laughs> and then but then like on phantom zone we spend 30 minutes talking about don't breathe too and how that guy had mason jars full of his own jizz so maybe it's just like this is just this is what the gods have mapped out for me or something you know what's funny about that that's like come origin story right we said he was a homunculus okay so he was he was the blind guy's come that he poured into a, a fucking you know a, a, a log and put under his house and turned into Cumdar, yeah. Well, and you know, they, they tore down that house, and then they built a factory over, and years later, some old guy was walking past the factory at night. This is true. And there was this white shit coming out of the ground, and he just started eating it. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, this this is some good stuff. Man, this tastes good. This tastes, this is some good stuff, TM. Mm. See, the content I make is is much more wholesome. We don't do Cumdar. We have What Are You Doing, Step Bro. <laughs> In reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Of course, of course. I'm stuck, Step Bro. <laughs> oh, no. But Bad Moon. Bad Moon. Yeah, bad, you're a bad, bad moon. Look, guys, I don't know about y'all, but I've been waiting a long time to talk about this film. I think I think we this has been on the docket for almost two years. Like, we were like, oh, it's not time, or like, we want to do that, but... And then everything just kind of aligned with CB, and it was like, oh, yeah, this is based on a novel. And then we were like, well, let's do a book to the movie. Uh, well, why don't we do it as a full episode where we talk about the movie and the book, but not book to the movie, <laughs> like a mainline episode. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I think my excitement is feeding into the silliness because, like, I am... Like, legitimately, guys, like, I'm hyped as fuck. I fucking love this movie. I don't want to give away my hand, but, like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, dude. Spoilers. It fucking rules. Yeah, this is something I found, like, at A to Z uh, that we've mentioned before uh, in Tom's River, New Jersey, where, like, I I brought a home based on, like, a cover that was just, like, it's super simple, but just fucking rad. Oh, yeah. And then I looked in the back, and I'm like, that is the coolest werewolf 15-year-old Connor has ever seen in his fucking life. And I have to see this right now. It's one of the coolest posters. It's one of the coolest posters, Connor. Like, Yeah, it, like, this movie is just fucking cool. I'm echoing that sentiment with you, dude. Like, before I moved to Tom's River, I lived in Brick. 
And um, there was a... Uh, you had Video Superstore. Well, yeah. Well, it was a... Uh, what the fuck was it? It was... Brick had a Hollywood video and a Blockbuster at one point. I think it might have been a Hollywood video. I think it was Hollywood video, and it was in the plaza where my mom used to work. Uh, there was like a Pearl Vision or some shit over there by the Pathmark, where, and there was like a Kmart over there. I think the Kmart's still there. There was a, It was a Barnes & Noble there. It's still there. I actually worked there um, occasionally. Not that one. Oh, not that. There's another Hollywood video. Okay. Yeah, there was another Hollywood video in... Um, it was off Old Squan. It was by Old Squan Road in Route 88, right? Mm, okay. And it was... Uh, I'm trying to remember this, like, specifically. There there was, like... A, now there's, like, a Bonefish Grill or some shit there and some other uh, eye, eye place. I know exactly what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Dude, Comics Plus. There used to be a fucking uh, Comics Plus... Uh, in the Kmart Plaza that I used to go to as a kid, and it was a giant comic book store, like giant. I used to get like Beavis and Butthead comics and shit from there. Um, but yeah, the Hollywood Video dude. I remember wanting. To, I remember seeing this trailer like a, a few times that summer, or whenever this came out, or when it was supposed to come out. Um, and I was like, shit, dude, I need to see this movie. And then I didn't go see it in the theaters. Uh, which was strange because I usually got to go see like the R-rated movies. I saw Blair Witch for Christ's sake and some others. I mean, this was '96, but uh, wasn't gonna happen in my house. Yeah. Well, my my aunt would take me, my mom would take me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I remember renting this from that Hollywood Video, and man, when they, you you walk up on it, that fucking werewolf mouth is agape with the moon for the eye, and in the in that script font, it looks like Bram Stoker's Dracula font almost. It does, yeah. Man, I remember renting that and bringing it home and just being like, holy shit. Like, this werewolf is my favorite werewolf in all of cinema, okay? There's a handful that are really good, but the thing is, like, this one doesn't have, to me, the weakness of the longer you look at it, the more flaws you see. Like, this is the longer you look at it, you're like, I'm lost in how scary that thing is in a, in a primal way. It's fucking terrifying. It is the most ghoulish, terrifying, intense, wide-eyed vamp- uh, vamp- werewolf I've ever seen. Like, that's all practical. It's got this wild look to it that I just can't pin down, and it's, it, it's, it's like primal fear i have of this thing right we're gonna get into the effects but um but you brought up you brought it up right now connor you said that you know in the broad daylight uh eric wright wanted this thing to be just as terrifying in stark light as it was in the shadows so uh they they nailed it yeah i actually uh, i have a hollywood video uh, story to go with joe where i saw i saw this on, i saw this on the shelf and I was a little kid, and the, and the workers there, they didn't care. You know, I, I had the money. They rented it to me. I did not see this movie until today. What? So what happened? So what happened was I chose instead to watch uh, a movie that was called Blood Moon, which has a very similar cover to it. Um, a wolf and the moon and the font on it. It was renamed to Wolf Girl. It is a like little indie Canadian movie. Uh, where Tim Curry plays a uh, circus ringmaster for a freak show, um, <laughs> and it revolves around uh, a girl who has like that that genetic um, um, issue where like she has hair all over her body, so she dresses up as a wolf girl. Then she takes like a experimental drug that gets rid of the hair, but the more she takes it, the more hair she loses, the more wolf like she becomes. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. It's much more of an art film. I was really, really uh, into it. And before I got to see Blood, um, Bad Moon, 
that Hollywood video closed down. Wow. Uh, so uh, this is funny because when you're describing this to me or to us in the chat, I'm thinking to myself, like, what do you mean, Howling 5, the freaks? Or Howling 6, the freaks? Whatever. I think, I think it's 5 or 6. Uh, because that has, like, a circus sideshow and, like, fucking werewolves. You know, there's a wolf guy in the, in the sideshow and shit. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it was New Moon Rising, which was another uh, Howling movie. Like, one, I think the last canonical sequel before they like rebooted it with that with the kids from degrassi yeah they made that, that that show the howling show or whatever hemlock grove no not hemlock grove it was like i our teen wolf or maybe i'm fucking this up maybe it's teen wolf you're you're thinking teen wolf yeah they made a tv show but there was Ar careful arlen harrow will come tumbling through my wall because he's closer <laughs> to me um and he'll start spouting about teen wolf i'm here for michael j fox and uh what's his face from Arrested Development. And he'll be like, Tyler Hecklin's great. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm here to remind the listeners that we're talking about Arlen Haro from the Phantom Zone podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sean is sitting there with a fucking, with a notebook. I hope he appreciates that joke when he finally makes it through because he'll, he'll message me occasionally, uh, Arlen, uh, you know, and again, if you don't know already, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making this a bit of a bit at this point, but he's been on our Wraith episode and our Green Lantern episode, uh, but he, he'll occasionally message me like, yeah, okay, I started going through the uh, episodes again and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm catching up and I'm like, oh, you didn't get to that episode yet, Arlen, huh? we mentioned you. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. So he might hear this a year from now, but uh, I hope he's enjoying it. Hey, I'm, I'm sure when he gets to it, he's going to like it. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll like, yeah, six months from now, he'll be like, Tyler Hecklin is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to get a fucking DM that says that. You're going to be like, what? What? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought you were talking about New Moon Rising, which was, again, that last howl uh, that last howl howling sequel. And it has a similar cover, but not nearly as fucking cool. <laughs> Fun fact, Howling is based off of a book as well. Oh, yeah, dude. Gary Bradner's The Howling, right? Oh, yeah. There's three Howling books, but I don't think the Howling movies do anything with the sequel books. I have the first book on my shelf. You do? I've been after that, dude, for a long time. I got it for cheap. I don't know how much it is now, but speaking of book prices and going back, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> what we're supposed to be talking about. Sean, you gave me the first edition copy of Thor, which is... Sean, I, Joe gave you the first edition copy of that. <laughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, Joe. Look, there's a lot of times where people say shit like that and i let it slide but not this time i'm sorry joe it's late <laughs> for me <laughs> you're good <laughs> uh joe yes you gave me the first edition copy of the book i very much enjoyed it uh you told me to take care of it and i tried my best what does that mean did you spill coffee on it or something don't tell me that smith never 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 it is untouched you what you you read it with gloves on right i read it with care <laughs> Busting your chops, dude. <laughs> he was eating chicken fingers. He had grease all over him. Oh fuck, man! There's, oh dude, there's greasy fingerprints. There's the fucking spine is all cracked and shit. Yeah, thanks, Smith. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Spilled some of his spaghetti and meatballs in there. I brought it to work. I read on my lunch break, but I was careful. And then I saw the price of the paperback. I didn't see the price for the hardcover yet. It was nine hundred dollars for the paperback. I was like, "Fuck, Joe, what did you? How is this another Child's Play three situation? Who did you kill? <laughs> Look, I did not spend over a hundred dollars on that Child's Play three novel. P.S. Mm -hmm. I didn't spend over a hundred bucks, but the Thor one that you hold in your hands or that you've read, um, 
that one was I think I got it for like twenty bucks. But again, like I'm I'm such a huge fan of this movie when I knew it was a book when I was a kid, or uh, maybe not a kid, but like a little bit older when it, when I was able to have like uh, a bank account and have like an eBay account and all that kind of shit. What was that like two thousand five ish? I got it for like twenty bucks on on eBay. Somebody was selling it, um, and I hadn't read it. So Smith is actually the first person uh, after it came to me to read the book so i haven't even read it yet and i apologize for spoilers up ahead but we are going to talk about it no 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 that's fine yeah absolutely uh, fine considering like from what i understand like i even was bullshitting about this with you guys like last week i was like oh yeah that character you're like they don't exist in the movie i'm like oh well, that's why i don't remember them <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I kept dropping stuff throughout the week of things of just like yeah because he d- he was asking me about the um the cayenne pepper. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not even. We'll get to that. Okay, okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna front load this because I'm the dude here who works in the veterinary field. Um, I'm gonna have some things to say about some good and bad things to say about the dog in this movie. Um, and I'm probably gonna have some insight on some of this weird shit that CB has uh just uncovered. But like, <laughs> I'm just I'm just front loading people. Like I might have some hot takes regarding how this movie was made i i totally get it and on that note cb make sure that fucking book stays in nice condition because i need something to leave to my wife when i die okay all right <laughs> wow i understand i have first edition and signed copies yeah you know she's got it she's she's got to be able to take all my fucking bullshit that i spend money on and, and cash it in for, for actual money oh he left me with this pile of fucking movies <laughs> yeah well i told jules i was like i was like honey this is worth this this is worth this this is you know i'm like i'm kind of walking her through the motions <laughs> oh so. my god going through the video dungeon i mean jesus christ what happens if i get hit by a truck tomorrow i don't know who knows anyway at least at least there will be uh, a fruitful uh, uh bounty in the, her future anyway just bury me in the trash let's get well i'm gonna be thrown in the trash <laughs> but let's get into some of the just i want to get into some of the the backstory uh, uh, of this film uh, so it's directed by eric red okay this is the, this this is the guy who writes the original hitcher uh and near dark oh shit near dark yeah he wrote well he didn't direct it uh he wrote it mm-hmm. uh and both of those are bangers the original hitcher and near dark um, and he wrote and directed Body Parts, which I keep, well, maybe not keep bringing up, but I've, we've talked about it before, especially, I think, on the Lawnmower Man episode, because Jeff Fahey gets, like, a fucking arm transplant from a serial killer, and uh, hilarity ensues. We need to fucking do that flick. Sign me up. More Jeff Fahey, more Job on the show. Job gets a new arm. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> the one when Job gets a new arm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, the Always Sunny theme is playing over that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, he needs that so he could pick up the telephone and, and make that call, yeah. Right, yeah, his war cry. His, well, his body turned into a fucking raisin. He needs more than a new arm. <laughs> Don't worry, he gets new legs and all kinds of shit. We'll get to it. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. All right, the restoration of Job. But yeah, so spoilers, this is based on a novel called Thor, written by Wayne Smith. No relation. Are you sure? <laughs> you should take that credit, dude, especially if the novel was good. Like, yeah, he's my cousin. He's my cousin. I am related to like maybe one Smith in the world, and that is it. <laughs> well, somebody's related to Ernest Hemingway in this movie, and we'll get to it. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Uh, I mean, someone in this someone in this podcast is somehow in, uh, related to George R. R. Martin. So you, yeah, really? 
What? I didn't know that. I can't believe I haven't told the story in this show on this part of the with with CB. No, tell the story, motherfucker. We we were literally joking about this motherfucker before we went on air. Yeah, no, I no, because here's the thing. This is one of those things where I thought I'm like I've told this story where my brain is like yeah, you probably did that you just forgot about it. Um, the movie dumpster. This is this is a virgin story. So here we go. My my grandpa is cousins like dis like distant cousins with George R. R. Martin's like like sister or something like there it's the relationship is very like it's very thin it starts way at the top of our family trees but it's there and i can't remember the woman who's uh like it's like my great aunt or like like one of my great relatives is one of his relatives and like i guess my dad even like like contacted him once he was like hey we have like a thin blood relation like i'm an aspiring writer like but you know any advice? And he's like, just write, which is the funniest thing coming from R- Martin because Martin doesn't fucking write. He just fucking wastes his fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that interview he has with him and Stephen King. They're doing like an author to author thing in front of a crowd. And he just goes to Stephen. I think I've probably even mentioned it on the show before, but he goes to Stephen King. He's like, how the hell do you write so much? How do you get so much done? <laughs> and King's just like, he just writes. How, yeah, how does he get so much done in between those baseball games? Yeah. Yeah. I have to, if I can, I'll get back into my dad's ancestry uh, account and find the it's it's someone who was in the, basically they both came up in this like like my grandparents relatives and his relatives came up in bayonne together oh wow so like there's a relation there so now i'll i'll dig up the the woman i think her name is jane something um the the woman who's basically like the link in our families oh man you should send him an email and be like hey so i'm getting a piece of your will right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think my dad. You know, he may not have told me this, but I'm sure my dad's already barked up that tree, and I'm sure he was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just busted balls, but hey, you know, it never hurts. You should just reach out to him and be like, life advice. I get yeah. What like I, I, like I I go out to my front step one day, and there's just like two packages, and it's fucking what is it? Winds of winter and a dream of spring. Like they're just done. Like <laughs> he, he finishes Game of Thrones again. <laughs> Just leaves you the only copies. <laughs> I wrote these for you, Connor. These are my manuscripts. He's the, he gives me the manuscripts. I'm just like, I'm just like, ha ha, HBO, fucking pay me. And then you spill coffee all over them. That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> I got like 10 rats would come to my doorstep and just tear it apart. I'd be like, what the fuck? I've been betrayed. Dude, you would have fucking FBI agents fucking kicking your door down for those goddamn things. Yeah, who, who like the, the fucking head of Warner Brothers, what's his name? Ken Su, uh, uh, fuck, I can't remember his name. He, he'd be like, he'd have me like, like, unconscious in his office within the hour he's like so oh yeah man he's sending somebody after you to fucking wrangle you our our streaming service needs content we can't have a snyder cut every year (laughs) (laughs) give me those manuscripts you devil benny off and wise are like please sir we have some more (laughs) i mean my my lame claim to fame to martin is that I was also born in Bayonne, and that was about it. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I moved all over New Jersey. Oh, that's interesting. We're we're, we're very everybody's very very close. Uh, we all have origins in in North Jersey. Well, no, no, I'm I'm from Central. Never been to North. <laughs> never never from the North. I'm sure your folks have connections up north. I'm a sweet summer child, just to keep the Game of Thrones reference going. <laughs> You're definitely from King's Landing. You guys want to know who else is from Jersey? Who? Wayne Smith. Oh, is he really? Ah. Fuck, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he's a local. That's crazy, man. And Eric Red is from Pittsburgh, PA. Oh, shoot. Now that we're in PA, I feel like I needed to mention that. It's almost like this pocket of the country has been producing literary heroes for some time. A little bit, yeah. It's amazing. Well, yeah, and Pittsburgh's, uh, you know, 
producing prolific directors as well. Mm-hmm. Question mark. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, this was a this was a novel by Wayne Smith. Now, here's the thing that I didn't know. Uh, this was a big one for me, and maybe you guys read about this, but the novel doesn't even come out yet before it's pushed across Eric Red's desk. Okay, and before it was published um, by the William Morris Agency, he um, he had it, and it was it was I don't know why they chose him to 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 go over. I guess because it's like a again, it's kind of like a pulpy werewolf thing, and like it's got that taboo of like, well, no no big director's going to take this. Like you did the Hitcher and Near Dark, you did vampire shit. Uh, so uh, what do you think? But um. You know, he goes on to say that he so he reads this book and he's like, you know, that's that's one of the most original werewolf movies I've ever read. And so he takes it and he writes his script and um, he takes it to his producers. And um, he actually the way that he comes about this movie is he's going to talk about another project and. I guess it doesn't pan pan out or what have you, but the producers on that project are like, "Hey, hey, what's what about that that werewolf uh, dog movie uh, you wrote the script for? What about that?" And he's like, "Oh, well, here it is." And he's like, "Well, yeah, this looks great." Okay, two weeks later, we're in production for fucking Bad Moon. So it's bonkers how this shit works. I had a hard time actually finding any info on Wayne Smith uh, just because that's such a common name. Oh, yeah. His bio in the dust jacket mentions that he is a former disc jockey, a bike messenger, a bookstore clerk, and a cab driver, and now lives in San Francisco. That sounds like a writer to me. Yeah, sounds like a Jersey guy to me, too. Very much. Uh, The only other book I could find that is guaranteed to be from him was a vampire novel called Nightlife, I believe. Oh, really? Was that ever adapted into anything? I couldn't find uh, that kind of info. But I did find that Thor won the 1996 Garden State Teen Book Award. Teen Book? Technically, this book is a YA novel. Are you serious? Whoa. And we will go into weird details as to why I don't. Oh, my God. That just dawned on me, dude. You know, you know, I leafed through this and I was like, man, the text is big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, hardcover books tend to have like bigger text sometimes. Sure. It won alongside uh, Lois Lowry's uh, The Giver, which um, in my bookstore. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, they won both together. And only one of those is an assigned reading for kids in the summer. I have to sell every every summer, every year at the bookstore. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not Thor. You should propose that. You should be like, oh, yeah, you okay, so The Giver's great or whatever, but l- read this book. You like werewolves, kid? Here's some brain candy. You would have been my savior, dude, at the Scholastic Book Fair, man. Do you like werewolves and oddly horny dialogue yes hey you you by the animorphs table get over here anything to make me look up from the book and make sure nobody's around oh yeah yeah there's we'll get into it (laughs) (laughs) what what i thought was crazy too about this is now i love this movie and maybe i'm biased but i think it's a really excellent werewolf movie one of the best top five easy maybe not number one but definitely like number two or three okay uh, me and me and Arlen from the Phantom Zone podcast uh, had this conversation the other day. <laughs> yeah, you better say that, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> you, he's got your fucking number now. <laughs> uh, we're talking about this the other day, and I was like, I like to me, it is my favorite werewolf movie. And for him, he's like, and like I, so if I had to pick three or four, it's this, 
It's American Werewolf in uh, in uh, London. Not Paris. Jesus Christ, not Paris. Yeah, no, not Paris. <laughs> it's Dog Soldiers and it's Late Phases. Okay. I don't know among us who's seen Late Phases, but Late Phases is the only werewolf movie to like really like make me fucking hurt emotionally. Yeah, Late Phases is is excellent. Late Phases is about a war vet who goes home who's blind and who has a seeing eye dog and lives in a retirement community and a werewolf is attacking the commu- the, the community and as hokey as that fucking sounds this movie takes it as seriously as a fucking heart attack and that's why it rules and by the end of it like and it's and it rules because of it by the end of it you'll be it's a, such a fucking gut punch because like it attacks his dog it attacks his neighbors like and he's blind and he like Fights this thing in his fucking, like, his, like, Valor uniform at some point. Like, it's so fucking good. Oh, man. Dude, dude, don't don't spoil it, but that end fucking scene is incredible. And I think Berman did the effects on that. Ro- uh, Rob Berman, yeah. Yeah, and it's the uh, the main actor is a guy from Stakeland, which is a very good vampire movie that's kind of like a... It's a post-apocalyptic vampire movie where it's kind of like a zombie movie, but it's vampires have taken over the entire country and this young guy this kid is following around this kind of survivor veteran who's basically trying to teach him like like this world you're about to you know kind of come up in is brutal and unforgiving and like the way you think you can survive will get you killed so it's the road with vampires yeah yes oh wow that's yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, Late Faces is good, too, because it's one of those werewolf movies where there's actually, like, multiple werewolves. Like, Didn't we watch that together? Yeah, we watched it at uh, your parents' house a few years ago. But, uh, you know, they work sometimes with multiple uh, werewolves. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you need just the one. Sometimes you don't. I mean, if you've seen a bunch of these films in this genre, it kind of just really depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Late Faces, it was cool seeing the multiple werewolves without really giving away what the plot is yeah and the and then i mentioned dog soldiers because that's the other one where it's like you have multiple werewolves and like that movie just never fucking lets up oh man neil marshall needs to make a fucking sequel to that asap how did we get descent 2 and not dog soldiers 2 i don't know descent 2 fucking blows if you ask me yeah well don't <laughs> sh- don't say that don't say that out loud because julie might hear this and she hasn't seen it yet oh no she loves the descent that's like one of her favorite movies uh late phases sounds like bubba hotep but more serious and make me cry more yes yeah, no, big time. Yeah, and, like, Bubba Hotep has its moments where it's like, oh, but, like, Late Phases has not a moment where it's not, where it's putting his tongue in his cheek. Like, it's taking this ridiculous premise as seriously as it possibly can. Like, and it's just, and the actor whose name I fuck, I can't remember his name, but, like, he's astounding. And, like, he commits the whole blindness thing. Like, he's not, like, he's, he's not, one, he's very old, too. He's playing an older man. Like, he's, this is not a, like, knockdown, drag-out fight. Like, this is a, this is a really brutal fight for survival by the end of it. I gotta check this out. Tom Noonan is the priest, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum there, though, like, one of my favorites, you know, this, this actually ranks pretty high. This was really good. Like, this movie actually scared me a couple times, like, especially, like, towards the end when they, when shit really starts hitting the fan. But uh, one that's real kind of hokey, I guess you could argue, compared to, like, Late Phases especially, and even this film, uh, that I like a lot is Silver Bullet. Oh, I love Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet's good. Corey Haim's great with, you know, as the main character in the wheelchair, and then, of course, you have crazy Uncle Gary Busey in there, and uh, I always forget the name of the actor, but fucking Ed from Twin Peaks, who plays the, uh, the, you know, you find out it's the werewolf. 
Uh, and this, again, another movie that has a great end sequence where the werewolf's in the house going after him and they have to take it out. That, that gets a lot of shit for, like, the werewolf design, and I just don't agree. I think it looks good. I just don't agree, man. I think I think he looks great. Oh, that actor is Everett McGill, by the way, and he's fucking amazing uh, in that flick. Maybe this is like, uh, I'm sure we'll cover more werewolf movies. This isn't our first one. I think we were talking about that previously, and I think we just all forgot, or pushed, rather, American Werewolf. Wolf in Paris out of our brains. We don't want to think about that too much. Fuck that movie, and we should totally do Silver Bullet because we can do Cycle of the Werewolf with Smith. <laughs> oh. That is a good book. Sure is. See, I didn't I didn't think of American Werewolf in Paris. I thought of how this is yet another version of Thor versus Fenrir, which we already watched in the Runestone. Oh, co- wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, and and you know what's funny about that? That's a good point, Connor, because I would even argue this is technically like our third werewolf movie if you count Runestone. That's what I was talking about because that's that's Sigvolts and, you know, versus it's it's a it's a Nordic warrior who's fighting a giant wolf monster. It's it's Thor and Fenrir. Yeah. A wolf creature right yeah yeah it's right in the pocket there yeah which is why i love like it's you know we we do frankenstein movies and we do (laughs) various pop culture interpretations of a nordic fairy tale i think it's fucking awesome (laughs) and we do john carpenter's vampires obviously yeah yeah but we do all the incarnations of things that are inspired by thereof so there you go yeah but i i guess where i was going with that what's 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 your top five uh, werewolf movies, and then Smith, what's your top five, and then I'll tell mine. Uh, okay. Uh, I guess, like, if I, I, this is not in any particular order, but I would probably put this in the top five. Uh, the original Wolfman. Does, does Wolfman count? Would that count as a werewolf movie? I, I know that's a little different. Of course. He's a fucking werewolf! He's the OG! What are you talking about? Okay, okay. He is a wolf man. Yeah. Well, I think I think what Sean's point is, like, you can watch the movie and go, like, this is a fucking weird-ass algor- uh, uh, allegory for alcoholism. Well, right, a little bit. Well, that's also true, and it was like, oh, I'm, I'm Lon Chaney Jr., and I had the same problem my dad had anyway. Yeah. Because I was gonna say, I mean, I'll give, I'll answer the question, but I was just thinking about that when we were you were just talking about the way the werewolf looks in silver bullet joe sure like werewolves historically in art for i i want to say centuries don't quote me on that maybe it's not centuries but uh you know they're drawn in many different ways you have like the skinnier type uh, which you kind of got in silver bullet and even in the uh, wolfman remake uh, was kind of like that skinnier stomach, and then it's on the hind legs, much like uh, American Werewolf. Well, actually, I was going to say American Werewolf in London, but that one actually is on all fours. Uh, the one in... Uh, yeah, it's a quadruped, but d- both done by Rick Baker, so there you go. Yes, or or like the one like in Harry Potter 3 that Lupin turns into is more of the skinnier style, and then you have the big hulking motherfuckers like in London, and um, like the howling. Yeah. Um, so I always like that. I like that everyone has their own spin on it, and yeah, I gotta say, this one is pretty creepy, so I would say, yeah, this is in my top five, Silver Bullet, American Werewolf in London... I feel like if you just started naming shit, I would be like, oh, yeah. But, like, I, I, I could say the howling. It's okay. I just I just thought that would be fun to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would say the howling, but I haven't seen it in a long-ass time. And uh, was that the, the, the howling's the one with Jack Nicholson, right? No, no, no. That's Wolf. That's Wolf. Okay, so... 
what that would be the other one I would put on the list because I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it a lot. It's funny because it's it's Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, it's like a, and it's a minimalist werewolf movie. Like, like it's not. It, it just it's it's just barely a werewolf. I have just that scene burned into my head. I think he's eating like a hoof or something in the woods, but he's like a human form it, or a deer or something. I I can't remember. We should revisit that for sure. Yeah, it's creepy. Uh, but I guess that's my answer, you know, off the top of my head. What about you, Smith? See, the funny thing is, is that like in preferences for monsters, I choose werewolves over vampires all all the time. But I just have a hard time finding really good werewolf movies. I didn't know about Bad Moon, but that's going to be that's going to be up there now. That's what this show is about, baby. And everybody who likes werewolves that never heard of fucking Bad Moon is going to go watch Bad Moon right after they hear this episode. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? It's funny. Uh, Hunter Davenport, also from the Phantom Zone podcast, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do horror films, and he loves this fucking movie. Uh, the other thing I wanted to throw in is that there's two more contemporary ones that I will defend to the death. Uh, one is what Sean mentioned, The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro. I think that movie is fucking great, despite like some obvious flaws and like a kind of a weird ending. Spoilers, never saw it yet. How? I don't know. I'm I'm the werewolf man. Yeah, also, Benicio Del Toro is giving the most tormented performance I've ever seen him give, and he's just phenomenal throughout the entire thing. The idea of him being Larry Talbot, like... Makes me so happy, and I just never, I just, I just never watched it. I don't know why. I just never got into it. He's giving a hundred and fifty percent every time, and then like it by the end of it, like when he goes in his killing spree, you're like, this is so. And Emily Blunt's in it, and Anthony Hopkins is fucking in it. Um, the other one is this is gonna be this might take everybody for a whirl. Underworld Three: Rise of the Lichens. I don't care for the first two movies. However, I am a big fan of fucking werewolves, and I love that fucking movie. Michael Sheen is amazing. Uh, I think I can't remember her name, but like it's uh, Mina Suv. Ah, oh, fuck. She's not Kate Beckinsale. It's somebody else. But like, she's good. And uh, 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 fuck. Uh, goddamn, he plays uh Davy Jones in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, he's I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I I know his name, but just lost it. I thought he was the main vampire guy in the first movie. He is, but it's it's a prequel, and it's basically it is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It details the the conflict between the werewolves and the vampires, and because it's set in a thunderbolt, you know, cloudy, rainy, dark blue Transylvanian like fantasy setting, I fucking gobble that shit up. It's so fucking fun. I forget what that Christmas movie is. But he's the fucking singer in that movie. If you know, if you feel like werewolves, baby, let me know. Let it show. Yeah, he's fantastic. With fucking uh, Alan Rickman. Anyway, sorry. What, what was I pick? Bad Moon. <laughs> I picked Bad Moon. Uh, Howling. <laughs> <laughs> American Werewolf in London. Um, 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 oh, Silver Bullet. Um, but Dog Soldiers. All right, guys, listen. Uh, it's so good. Dog Soldiers is the fucking tits. Let me explain. Uh, the famous Tony from Hack the Movies uh, <laughs> mentioned it in one of his uh, reviews. And important. You got to remember that detail. He's very important also. He's very important, yeah. I, he name dropped it for a possible episode. I immediately messaged him and I was like, listen, you, I need to be on this episode. I love this movie before I enlisted. And then after I enlisted, I'm like, I love this more. It is my favorite werewolf movie. It is one of my favorite war movies in general is one of my favorite movies in general that beginning scene of the soldiers bickering with each other in the middle of an exercise i have never seen a more accurate depiction of the back and forth jokey jokes going on between your average joe soldiers because there's so many war movies with your with your airborne ranger special forces 
And the no, no, this is the only movie that has <laughs> just my kind of guys, the people I hang out with. So, do you want to hear a fun fact about that movie? That I'm sure you may not know. Love fun facts about this movie. Remember the scene where Sean Perchway is tied to a bed and they just punch him to knock him out because he's being irrational? He actually punched him, yeah, right? They jaw jacked the fuck out of Sean Perchway <laughs> in, that, in that fucking scene. Oh, I didn't know that. He fucking really hit him. Holy shit. And they knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> you, you know what's funny, though? You bring that up specifically in the context of uh, Hack the Movies, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, uh, if, if Tony doesn't get around to it, because again, he's very busy he's very important uh (laughs) next year maybe we make an exception smith maybe you don't have to read a book maybe you can just come on and talk about fucking dog soldiers because i think we've been talking about it a couple years ourselves so it's like whoever pulls the trigger first gets smith on the show also it would be fucking criminal for hack the movies to do that movie and not have you on i would say yeah yeah oh yeah I looked so, so hard to see if there's any kind of literature, uh, a publication of a script, anything to give me an excuse to talk it on my channel, and I could not find it. Oh, we'll find one. Don't worry. I love dog soldiers. It's all right. You just come on and you talk about it with us. Fuck that. Fuck that. We'll find an excuse. Our excuse is we watched Dog Soldiers and we dragged you along. It we'll, we'll, we'll cover it for sure. Joe, what are your top five? Oh, thank you, Sean. Allow me while I will elaborate. Um... The Company of Wolves, the Neil Jordan film Company of Wolves. Have you any of you guys seen that movie? I've never heard of that. No, never heard of it. So I love that movie because it's it's mostly like a fairy tale kind of thing, and the and the way that it explores uh, werewolves and the lore is very it's very uh, fairy tale driven, and it's like this weird fucking fever dream of a movie where it's basically uh, this this uh, young teen girl. Um, it put it this way, it's kind of like it's kind of like Labyrinth meets uh, Little Red Riding Hood. I can get behind that. David Warner's in it. Angela Lansbury's in it. When I met David Warner, I had him sign my Company of Wolves poster, and he called a- Angela Lansbury the big C. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm just imagining like Raz Al Ghul from fucking An- Batman the series. Like that woman is a cunt. <laughs> well, he was he was such a cool guy, so I imagine she was uh, a jerk. So that's definitely on there. Company Wolves, straight up. Um, Bad Moon, obviously. Man, now this is where it gets difficult, right? Because you want to say Howling, which I'm gonna say. So the Howling, and you want to say American Werewolf in London, because because of the effects, right? And even the movie, but the but. You know, when I look at like a company of the uh, uh, company of wolves versus American Werewolf in London, they are just two completely different fucking movies, right? Like one's like a horror comedy, and one's like a, a fantasy uh, 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 art film with werewolves, kind of. I feel like American Werewolf in London is it is a werewolf movie, undoubtedly. But like, if I'm in the mood for a werewolf movie, I don't go to it because I want pure horror i guess like i want either horror or or like you know the action like i don't go to american werewolf in london because it's horror comedy and like when i want to go to the werewolf well i'm like no i want like just fucking i want tradition like i want fucking you know sure i want the i want the horror i mean it's a prolific film it it can't not be on there but that i think that i think number five i think number five for me is project metal beast which i've not seen yet and i keep seeing the cover for it and i'm like "Mm -hmm, man man i really i I think i posted that for vh uh september vh september doesn't that have the metal gear solid font i don't think so 
But it's basically about this guy who goes to Romania, uh, and it's like a government-funded project where he, like, kills a werewolf, gets werewolf blood, and they basically want to build a super soldier. And they, they, they kill this guy, but he can't die, but he has bullets in him that uh, turns him back into a guy. So they freeze his corpse. They unfreeze him in the 90s, and um, these researchers and these scientists um, that have come up with some type of armored um, skin graphs to, for super like a, another super soldier program that they're working on take this cadaver and put these and, and graph all of these fucking like bulletproof skin sections too and they have no idea that he was a fucking werewolf and Barry Boswick's like yeah it's fine you can put that shit on that corpse and then one of the doctors like takes out the silver bullets and then he comes back to life and fucking turns into a werewolf oh my god <laughs> what dude it's that sounds fucking awesome it's amazing and Kane Hodder is in the fucking suit it's great one more honorable mention uh, Ginger Snaps um, oh yeah. Now I rewatched that this year with my wife and she had never seen it. So I was like, oh, let's watch this. Definitely need to check it out. It's a great coming of age, uh, werewolf movie for sure. Mm-hmm. Catherine Isabella is an underrated horror gem and she's kind of the front, the main, she's the main player in the Ginger Snap series. She's in Freddy vs. Jason. She is, uh, yeah, she's great in Freddy vs. Jason too, as well. She's the one who has the dynamite line of what the fuck do you think? I had a big crush on her. Yeah. Well, you know who else is the sister is, uh, Bev from, uh, the It, uh, miniseries. Young Bev. That's her? Oh, shit. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, that's her. That's what I said. I was like, that's, who is that? And we looked it up. I was like, holy shit, that's Beverly Marsh from the, the It 90s series. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, the they the, who plays him in the kid version, you know, with um, what's his name, uh, Jonathan Brandis, not the one who's like, why is he so mean? Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Brandis and uh, uh, uh what's his and name? And Seth Green. Seth Green, yeah, Seth Green. And and uh and uh, what's his face? Um, uh, uh sliders. I don't know. <laughs> Jerry Connell. There we go. So so real quick, just a couple other things before we get we get into the meat and potatoes of this or the bullet the bulleted version of this. The silver bulleted version of this? The silver bulleted version. <laughs> so Morgan Creek puts his fuck Well, Sean, those don't work. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> so this movie gets put out by Morgan Creek and they fucking release it the day after Halloween and there's no fucking money. That that's the weird thing about this movie like they put up the money, and there was, like, a regular shooting schedule, more than enough time to shoot, more than enough budget. That wasn't the problem. The problem was no money was spent on the marketing of this film. Now, I remember seeing the trailer, but there was no trade ads or anything like that for this film, and they kind of it kind of just released on a, on, on a wet fart, you know? 900 theaters or some shit like that? So, on the tra- on behalf of the trailer, um, I went to... Because I told Ashley about it. I was like, you guys got to fucking watch this movie. Uh, I went to go find a trailer... Every trailer is the worst trailer I've ever seen. Yeah. It was an afterthought. Yeah. It's fucking bad. It's, it's so bad. It's like it's like a family, an uncle, flashes of light, maybe a werewolf, bad moon, question mark, dogs, but not really. Or whatevers. Yeah. It's the same. It's there by the cigar chomping executive. Ah, whatever this dogs is a family and the Michael Pare is in the fucking trailer. Oh, it's funny you say that because Dino De Laurentiis was originally on board to fucking produce this film. No lie. <laughs> Give me the werewolf. What do you say? First we got Orca, then we got the werewolf. Hey, Michael Pare, you werewolf now. Hey. So, so critics hated this fucking movie. They thought the effects sucked, which I think I want to just go shoot them all in the face. I was like, what are you talking about? Ah! Uh- 
I will say, when that transformation scene happens, I was pretty fucking disappointed. Ooh, well, that was rough. That was a rough one. That is the that is the movie's only real sin. However, I'm gonna say this to a, in its defense, like it is a combination of practical effects and a very bad morph tool. Correct. <laughs> no, it is. Yes, because the fucking werewolf looks so good, and you have the shitty ass transformation, like warp fucking effects. <laughs> So on that Scream Factory DVR Blu-ray, which by the way, you should totally pick up that Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray because it's amazing. The transfer is gorgeous. But there's a director's cut. And the director's cut is just that scene taken out <laughs> because Eric Red was like, that looks like shit. But to to its defense, like Steve Johnson and his team, oh by the way, Steve fucking Johnson on this werewolf guys like knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the whole the whole thing was like they they nailed everything else and then when it came to this transformation they just they just shit the bed and they were just like they fucked it up and and he owned that but then he was like okay I got a director's cut all right I'm just going to cut that clip that part out there we go fine and the, the disappointing thing is you could look at that sequence and go like you put you put effort into like practical effects and you made these molds and you made these other fucking pieces of this <laughs> you had the shoe blow up which looked awesome well no that that's still in the movie by the way the director's cut yeah you had all this shit happening and then you had that fucking CGI. I'm like, you just glued it together with bad visual effects. Like, you had all this stuff, and you just fucking you stitched together so poorly. So what, John, what Steve Johnson said was that, you know, the technology was there, but nobody was really exactly sure how to use it. Sure. So it was one of those things where I was like, well, how do we do this? Here's Here's eight different makeups and we're going to shoot these eight different makeups and then I don't know what you're going to put it together in post the big problem is it's all in like fucking 2D right there's, there's just <laughs> nothing actually like protrudes or anything like that like when you look at American Werewolf like all that shit still holds up and it's still I mean granted you know that that effect where the the no, the muzzle pushes out that Rick Baker fucking pioneered was it, it took it took almost nearly a year just to make that part uh, when you think about it. but And now it looks like someone doing a snake impression, but it's fine. Well, this is also true. But Steve Johnson had worked... Steve Johnson worked under Robotine for The Howling, and then Robotine was working under Rick Baker for American Werewolf in London, and then that was the point where Botine split off, did The Howling, and had his team, which consisted of Steve Johnson, to do um, the werewolf effects on that. But Steve Johnson then also worked on American Werewolf in London. All right? So you have this... I mean, Steve Johnson, again, he's he's one of my favorite effects guys, too. He's in my top five, for sure. Not as... Not, uh, not as Harold as... Um, uh, or heralded, however you say that, as uh, uh, Beekler. But uh, Steve Johnson's in, like, my top five. Um, again, because he's that guy that nobody really talks about, but has done so much fucking shit, you, your fucking head would spin. That's gotta be a lot of pressure, too, though. Like, because I always think, like, with horror movies in general, people are always looking for, like, good effects. Yeah. I mean, in any movie, but especially in horror. But you just think, like, any kind of creature feature, especially, like, a werewolf movie, like, that that's the kind of thing people are expecting to look a certain way. Like, the level of the effect. Like, the what is the werewolf gonna look like? What is the alien gonna look like? Yeah, but it was very specific for this film eric red wanted to make the best werewolf the ultimate werewolf put to film and steve johnson i was watching an interview with him and like he said it perfectly like anybody that does special effects like in the back of their head they're like i want to make a werewolf i i really want to make a werewolf and i remember i remember an inter another interview i saw him in he was talking about robo teen and working on um 
the howling and how Robotine would make like the coolest werewolf ever and it like not be good enough. Like I just remember that and like he would they would be be drinking beers in his fucking garage and he would just like rip this fucking sculpture apart and 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 Steve Jones would be like, "What are you doing? Like are you insane?" Um but yeah, and then the rest is history on the howling obviously. But uh Steve Johnson I think has made has has made uh, the ultimate uh, werewolf in this flick. This thing is so fucking scary. Like it's this thing is wide-eyed and terrifying. Terrifying. Uh, yeah, I, I want to give I want to give credit to Bill Corso because he designed and sculpted uh, the face of this werewolf. Um, it's Steve Johnson's company, but uh, he was he, Bill Corso was um, uh, Steve Johnson's like head uh, 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 art director. So. So he was a big part of how this werewolf looked, and they fucking nailed it. It's just, it's just, it's the best. It's the best. It looks like a fucking dog, and that's the thing about it, is that it looks so animalistic, and it emotes like, like, okay, so werewolves in movies, like, when they have to, like, they have to show you that it's still a man in there somehow. Like, it's there's still, yeah. there's still human features. This thing is like a fucking Sasquatch, okay? Like, it's this fucking gigantic hulking mass, and then the face, I'm like, that is pure animal. There's no human left in that thing. So, Dig, uh, Steve Johnson bases it off this comic. I I, I can't remember the name of the comic. It might have been, like, an EC Comics or, like, a Bernie Reinston thing, but he saw this uh, picture of this werewolf who had, like, the top half of a wolf and the bottom half of a man, so that's what he based it on. And the way that he constructed the animatronic face was that he was able to elongate the neck, right? So the animatronic head is kind of off the face of the actor, or the suit actor, and then he they were able to sculpt and kind of blend down the neck so it was like a longer neck. So it looked more like a wolf. Man? <laughs> TM? Yeah, it's fucking huge. Yeah. Guess who's in this suit, guys? Kevin Peter Hall. Ken Kurzinger. Oh my God! Really? Yep. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> the man, the man who brought Jason to life for uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. I honestly like. There's you know there's a short list of like good Jason actors and there's not many because Kane did it so many times. But like Ken Kurzinger is an awesome Jason because he's like, no, I'm gonna bring this like heavy-footed Frankenstein element to Jason, and all of his movements are just these big brutish swings. And he's a he's he's like an ape in this fucking thing. He this is who is this was his hardest job that he worked on. Oh my god, he fucking earned it. Because of the conditions of the suit and stuff, and just real quick, the fucking, they had a real German Shepherd, right? A Russian Border Patrol attack German Shepherd in that final scene? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in this suit, dude, and this fucking thing jumped at him, and it knocked him off his ass like 10 feet, like across the room. When he falls into the, when he falls into the computer table in Brett's room... Oh my god. Wrecked his shit, dude. Like, straight up. Well, I was gonna say, uh, while talking about the werewolf design, it's actually a huge far cry from what was described in the book. Oh my god, please lay it on us, yeah. Oh, I wanna hear this. Go ahead. Oh, that's right, you have a, a book guy on here. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, dude, there's a lot to talk about for this movie. It's so good. We got, we're, we're very wrapped up in our enthusiasm. We're sorry. We're all gushing about it. Um, so the, the book, uh, werewolf, uh, is described as like, more human-like, like, like uh, Long Chaney Jr.'s uh, Wolfman, where, like, the face is very humanoid. There's not a long snout, but he's, like, big and brutus. And uh, one of you guys mentioned Sasquatch. And uh, in the book, um, a couple people describe, um, because the werewolf has, like, a scene where, like, neighbors see him and then runs off in the woods. And they describe it as, like, thinking that they saw Sasquatch. 
So it has a very like I'm thinking like War of the Gargantuans type look um, in my head. Oh yeah, maybe. But in my head, that's what they look like. Uh, so then I'm watching, and, and I really do prefer this design. Um, but we were talking about it in chat, and I, <laughs> I spliced together some footage. Um, the the head being hunched down on the shoulders, I think it's fine because he does look very animalistic, very ape-like, like you said. But I couldn't get the image of Booster from Jingle all the way out of my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell you been? You know you just did, right? You just created another fucking MDU uh, chapter in the MDU universe. I am honored. You know, honestly, and how easy that is, just fucking, you just cover this fucking wolf pink, and there you go. That's all you gotta do. Stay tuned. Booster didn't have a Snickers. God, ima- imagine Booster just slicing this poor woman to death in this opening scene. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That opening scene's great. Oh my God, I want to talk about it so bad. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, I'll break it to in a second, but um, I have to address it because I didn't know that he was in this movie, and he's become like... Okay, so you know how Idris Elba is just like, you put him in a movie, you're like, God, he's the fucking coolest dude ever, and he just it's effortless. Michael Paré is Ted in this movie. He's the monster. He is Tom Cody from Streets of Fire, a.k.a. that movie, uh, the movie and actor responsible for Final Fight and the character of Cody, uh, uh, the Capcom games. Uh, Streets of Fire is the fucking raddest movie ever, and Michael Paré in both movies, in this and Streets of Fire, is just like... You're going to go, God, he's just fucking, like, everything he does is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> like Michael Paré loved doing this movie, by the way. He loved it. Did he really? That's fat. That's awesome, because it looks like he's kind of having fun. And, like, even when he's, like, having to really emote, like, aggressively, I'm like, man, he's doing really good for this fucking, you know, this, this. It is a very small, like, werewolf movie, because it takes place, in what, in, like, mostly in a backyard? Yeah. But, like, he's he's not shortchanging it like he's giving every he's giving a very good effort right it, okay so with that being said we got we got mariel hemingway uh as janet and she was in um the tales from the crypt episode that i was talking about um <laughs> which one loved to death oh okay with andrew mccarthy from fucking weekend at bernie's dude oh god weekend at bernie's is like a fucking mdu nexus it's the it's the one where he like is in love with this chick in this apartment complex and this weird like uh shady guy in this in this back room who like owns the super basically who like has cameras all over the place, like grants him this wish or whatever, or like this gives him this potion or some shit and he gives it to Mariel Hemingway and she like falls in love with him so much so that he like ends up killing her. And then she comes back from the grave and then you know how it goes. Tales from the crypt. Oh God. Mm -hmm. And then we have, uh, I don't know his real name, but Dennis the menace playing the son. (laughs) Mason Gamble is his name. (laughs) He's looking for some baked beans. Well, he's looking for uh, a key and a can of baked beans. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Christopher Lloyd. Uh, he's replacing Mr. Wilson's uh, teeth with chiclets. You know, he's getting paint inside his fucking steak. He's, he's a rascal. Oh, he is a little rascal. His name's Brett in this film. I think this is the uh, this is the film right after Dennis the Menace too. This this character's a fucking badass too. At some point in this movie. Oh yeah, he is the smartest person. Person being the keyword in this movie. So I yeah, and the star of the movie is not Michael Paré. If there wasn't if this if this actor was not present, it would be Michael Paré. But it's this fucking dog who plays Thor. Primo is his real name. Holy shit. I have never, in, in, uh, 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 other people I've talked about this movie have agreed with me, like, I have never seen a more convincing animal performer in my fucking life. To a point where, like, I was like, 
I think there's some real peril that this animal might be going through, or maybe some real stress, because, like, the fucking scene with the rabies pole is distressing. Yeah, I, I teared up at that. That was... That's the uh, movie magic, Connor. They have the treat off camera. They got the trainer there. You just don't see it. Well, here's the thing. Those two guys that take the dog away are the trainers. <laughs> he was probably happy. They probably had a fucking ADR in the dog whine. It was probably happy as a pig and shit. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not even... It's not even that. It's the fact that, like, I know animal body language. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Watching that sequence, like, that dog, like, whatever they did to, like, I'm sure because it was a trainer's, like, they knew how much stress they could put on this animal to, under, like, to make it do what they wanted to. But, like, I, wa- I wonder if it's, like, a smell thing or something. Like, maybe they have, like, a weird scent. The, the pole that, and, like, also the scene where he attacks Ted in the backyard and, like, the mom carrying him inside and just throwing him in a fucking laundry room. I was like, oh my god, I relate to all this, like, this this kind of, like, yeah. this erratic behavior from an animal you care about. It is a movie, though, so it's not like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To that point, there's three dogs. There's Primo, who does all the close-ups and stuff and all the more, like, rain- rambunctious-type stuff. Beautiful dog, by the way. Like, the, the coat on this dog is incredible. Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, there was an, uh, there was a female dog, Harriet, I think her name is, but she was for the over-the-shoulder stuff and, uh, anytime the dog laid down and things like that. And then there was that one, uh, Russian border fucking attack dog that I told you about. That was for that last scene, that last, uh, battle between him and, and Ted Wolf, but... With Primo, like, the close-ups, too, like, the close-ups, like, when he's looking at Ted in the woods, like, in the beginning and the ending, or, like, when he's just kind of staring out, and, like, there's a moment at the end after they fall through the window, which I think is just, like, a dynamite-fucking-looking stunt, where, like, Ted stands up to escape, and it looks like Thor is done, and he sits up, like, this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's, so, just real quick, I want to, like, I want to just tell you the secret behind all of his, like, isms. Yeah, 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 please. So, Primo was, like, a puppy. Like, it was a, it was a full-grown dog, but it was still, like, a puppy. So, it was, like, very scatterbrained all over the place. It was very hard to get all of the, uh, the facial, the you know, the, the 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 facial shots and stuff, and like Eric Red had like three fucking uh, uh, canisters of fucking film, like on the or three magazines of film, like ready to go just to shoot this dog for like as long as they could just to get what they needed. Damn. But um, Michael Paré, when the when the dog is looking at him, especially when he comes out of his trailer later, the airstream that he's in, he's making noises like. Like weird noises, and the dog is looking at him almost like he's thinking. Or like he also said that like they had they would just have lunch, so he would like blow towards the dog, so the dog would like sniff the air and be like, "Oh, what's that?" You know what I mean? Wow, that's honestly a credit to Paré for like just having that kind of natural chemistry with an animal to make it as easy as you know they possibly can. But the way that it reads on film, it's like the dog is thinking or like judging him. The dog is fucking sizing him up. Yeah. Every I like I've you know, you're homeward bound or whatever, like all these fucking movies with like animals as protagonists, but like this is the first movie I've ever seen where an animal as a protagonist is believable because you're looking at him, you're like, there's like pathos and there's thought. And there's problem solving that's 110% believable by an animal because it's not dealing with a human problem. It is confronting what he perceives as one of its own and saying, like, you don't fucking belong here. Oh, no, not at all. And that's one of the things I love about this fucking movie is that it's not a battle between humans and werewolf. It's a battle between an animal who is an animal and a man who turns into an animal who is, you know, who is 
basically encroaching this animal's territory and attacking its loved ones, and this an and the animal responding kind, like, no, get the fuck out of here. It's between a good boy and a not-so-good boy. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> CB, break this down for us a little bit, brother. All right. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I, I just right off the bat, I mean, say what you're going to say, but I'm even curious to see how the book opens compared to the movie, because I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to we're gonna get to that, because we we, there's some shit that we got to say, but hit it, baby. Uh, what do you want first, the opening or, or the Thor parts? Well, okay, so, ha so how does it work in the book? Is it all from Thor's perspective? Does it mix it up? It, it feels kind of gimmicky at times, um, but it, he uh, Smith, he does... Um, he successfully does the majority of the book from Thor's perspective. Um, and I, I texted you guys all throughout being like, I love this dog so much. He is the goodest of good boys. Like the first 20 pages is just a dopamine dump of just like, if you like dogs, Thor, like you instantly love him. He like in the movie, he in the beginning looks over at Brett, uh, who in the book, there is a Brett, there's little Teddy, and then there's a daughter named uh, Debbie. So they just morphed them all together and made Brett. Okay, so there's three kids. Three kids, uh, a mom and dad. And a dad. Yeah, and I talked about a dad character, and you were like, he's not in there. I'm like, wow, okay. No, so the movie is just a mom and her son. Yes. There's also a kitten in there, too. What? Little kitty? What's the kitty's name? Just called Kitty. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> because Debbie, the three-year-old girl, named him, so... And and so Thor, goodest of good boys, plays with the kitty, like loves the kitty, like completely, like if it's a uh, part of the pack, that's a th that's a thing. Like Thor sees the whole family as a pack. Uh, mom and dad are the mating pair. Uh, all the kids uh, are below him. He feels very like there's a rank system. Okay, yeah. Smith he goes by the that debunked study um, with wolf packs about like the hierarchy of the alphas and stuff. Um, there was an old study that the original author debunked later when he found, like, he studied wolves in the wild instead of activity and found that, like, no, wolf packs are just families. Like, they're not, there's no, like, alpha hierarchy. There's no, there's no Dark Souls boss uh, wolf from the gray that Liam Neeson has to fight with broken glass. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's, maybe it's Ted Wolf. <laughs> Thor, he listens to everyone. Uh, all he wants to do is protect the family. The worst thing you can do to Thor is call him a bad dog. It just, just hurts his feelings so hard. You can leave the windows open when you go grocery shopping. He won't go anywhere. Uh, he'll even carry groceries with him. What a nice boy. He's the nicest of boys. Um, as I mentioned before, he does like a security rounds every night, make sure everyone's in their beds. And then he sits down in a spot. He's in a spot in the stairs. They, they do that in the movie in a great way. He does. Yeah. Yeah. It does. And it's really nice. I had a Malamute Husky mix growing up, and his name was Dusty, and he did the same shit. Um, he would go from bed to bed and make sure everyone was cool. And I think with the – I'm tearing up. I miss my dog. Um, <laughs> um, he slept with all of us when we were kids, so he was by – as we were infants, he was by our cribs all the time. That's so sweet. Well, I love how in the, the movie, too, I, I'm really happy that's in the book because – they kind of established that with Thor very early into the movie where he's bringing, like, the blanket over to Dennis the Menace and he's checking on Mom. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, he, like, jumps up on him and, like, sleeps with him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the best scenes um, to really uh, exemplify, like, how good of a boy this guy is 
is like every morning he jogs with mom in the woods. That's like her routine. It's their routine. He runs off into the woods and goes scurries off and has fun in the woods. And he finds animals to chase and he chases a rabbit. And in the scene, he chases the rabbit and the rabbit gets trapped in like a, like a, not a ravine, but like a, like a, he's trapped and doesn't know where to go. Doesn't know what to do. The rabbit is scared out of his wits. Um, and Thor sits there in front of the rabbit and he's like, I know I need to do something. I just don't know what he, he's domesticated. So he doesn't know what, like about killing. Right. He wouldn't do the trapped animal. Yeah. He just traps the animal because he's chasing. It's a chasing game. The rabbit doesn't know that though, so he barks at the rabbit. <laughs> Wait, I'm just the rabbit's like watership downing, like <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Thor just barks at him, trying to say, "quote I win," because it's a game. It's this is what I mean. It's like, oh my god, Thor, Thor, I love you so much. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, like the dopamine finally wore off, and I was like, all right, Smith, you're getting a little Wayne. I know you love the dog. But you you kind of made him you, you you made him psychic a little bit, and that was weird. He's like Godzilla. Oh my god, are you fucking telling me this has got orca powers? Is that what you're saying? He has like um like a premonition where like he can uh, sense when like dad's coming um home from work, even if he's late. He's he predicts it on the minutes before anyone can hear the the the. The truck coming in or anything like that i don't know what it is about dogs you know maybe it is like a weird psychic thing and like comes off more psychic in the book but like i've definitely seen animals behave in matters where it's like how the fuck like how did you know or are they just that keen with their hearing like they could have just did it with keen hearing but instead like it's described in the book as like you just sense it and then dad this is a very dad book so i'm very surprised dad's not in the picture (laughs) fuck him dad is the alpha male dad does the best belly rubs it is dad whose last word uh in the book thor will only listen to dad to be fair i don't i don't think the movie would work with dad yeah all the things with dad uh is given to janet okay dad was the dad was the lawyer dad had the most uh say about things it was all just given to mom and i think it's like mom didn't have much to do in the book outside of being ted's sister so i think this works better as a single mom because just that that extra layer of family is not there and because that extra like mm-hmm. like the presence would be ted like she's like oh no it's like let's bring the family together and like he's an he's an active threat to everybody well yeah but he's also an active uh father figure to brett too you know what i mean yeah i uh smith i know you're kind of giving us the uh the breakdown of thor uh right now but can we just pivot for one second because you mentioned janet yeah uh, the mother is a is a lawyer because we, we have this great scene early in the movie where there's like this fucking con man with flopsy is that his name is that what they, what he's referred to in the book flopsy he, he's officially flopsy dude on imdb <laughs> oh my god his real name is rothgar something i i read i looked it up i just assumed she was just saying that as like a derogatory term i didn't think they were literally gonna name the guy that well that's all they refer to him as sure yeah so it is it is a derogatory term except for the sheriff he calls him by his real name but i didn't write it down like mitchell or something but i love how he's trying to like rip uh rip them off and you know immediately thor figures it out janet figures 
figures it out, and she gets in his face and is like, yeah, okay, yeah, you can, you can do that. You can come back with uh, a lawyer, but uh, I am a lawyer, and she gives him, like, all the legal speak. Like, I'll call a cop now. I'll get the sheriff down here. We can sort this all out. And then he, like, fucking runs away with his tail between his legs. He's like, oh, I'll get you later, lady. This asshole's on the ground, and he's like, oh, your dog bit me. And he's like, and she's like, he's like, I'm going to get my lawyer. And she's like, oh, yeah, here's mine. And she fucking takes her card and basically just fucking throws it on him and is like, there you go, you fucking scumbag. So we had a guy try to do this with one of my dogs, too. He showed up, like, because my dog ran away at some point, and he showed up, and he was like, your dog bit me in the crotch, and blah, blah, blah. And my mom was like, I think you'd be in a fair bit more pain if she did. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. You're not bleeding at all. Yeah, and also, like, it, Shadow was a, Shadow was Dusty's kid. So Shadow was Malmute Husky and German Shepherd. Wow, you're so lucky that you got that. <laughs> no, really, I'm serious. Yeah. Oh, Shadow was Shadow was the fucking best. I miss that dog every day. You got to have you got to have the 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 older dog and then and then it's kin. That's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, completely by accident because he ran away and we didn't neuter him. Um, <laughs> and he found a neighbor's dog. You didn't listen to Bob Barker. He did not listen to Bob Barker. <laughs> um, and this neighbor showed up like some months later, and she's like, one of these is yours pick one <laughs> <laughs> okay but yeah i just i really like that scene because it comes back later in the film like in a big way oh man that guy gets fucking wrecked <laughs> i i do want to ask though before we get too deep into this smith uh the beginning of the movie basically shows you uh how ted you know gets scratched and is gonna turn into a werewolf and we have this this insane kill scene where his wife is murdered yeah so since it's told from the perspective of the dog does that change also i want to talk about the unrated cut of this so let's hear what the book has to say and then i want to fucking break that down for you all right there's a lot you just asked a lot of questions so uh for for starters uh, how the book starts is uh, we actually get the perspective of a bear. Oh, weird. Yep, just chilling in the woods, doing his bear thing. Hey, Mowgli, that's a werewolf. We've got a split. Just the bear necessities hanging out in Borneo jungle. Hey, how you doing there, werewolf? I'm sorry, not to put the cart before the horse, but tell me that the fucking bear fights the werewolf. Oh, that would have been sweet. Oh! So the bear comes out of hibernation. He's super angry like Razorback, right? He uh, finds food. It's a little too early, though. And it's described as like he finds the carcass. He sees over and they didn't eat the liver. Um, Sean, you mentioned in the werewolf in Paris uh, video about werewolf legends eating hearts. That's in the book. Uh yeah, so all this evisceration, all this like real messed up stuff is in the book occasionally, but it's mostly just to get to the heart. The werewolf only eats hearts. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, see, you know, two years ago when I was spitting that information, you know, I knew what I was talking about, even if I wasn't very confident about it. He knew what he was talking about. Yeah, it's 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 and uh, it's very intertwined with uh, vampire lore as well. The, the heart was always the the heart was always the mainstay for how to defeat uh, a vampire and or werewolf so uh so the bear he finds the the carcass here and you're you're thinking like it's an animal it's not really described as anything and he looks around because he's a little f- like fearful he has like a premonition you know psychic bears too i guess um so he takes what is he from the fucking dark tower well i was gonna say not to be confused with the psychic bears from psychonauts or this fucking grizzlies floating around with psychic powers or fucking or or the bear from fucking uh new mutants either oh god oh dude excellent flick it's very good um i haven't seen it either so the, he drags the the carcass about a half mile 
And as he's eating like the liver, he senses something like he smells something sweet. So this is the reveal that it's a dead body he's eating. Um, he pulls out a baby Ruth or a babe Ruth. I'm sorry. Baby Ruth. Did he eat the he, he, it's chunk, right? He fucking ate chunk. It's a chunk bear. The bear turns to the camera and just goes, it's a bit nutty. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, wait. So where does this take place, Smith? Well, that was the preface. Um it's actually never described. I imagined, uh, because I looked up that he was from Jersey, I imagined it was um, Northeast, but I know it's Northwest in the film. It honestly can be either way. Yeah. Uh, the book describes it as like a suburbs, but there is woods in the back. Um, the movie is a little bit more secluded. Like the neighborhood is, like houses are much more separate uh, in the movie than they are in the book. I imagine like, I used to live um, in a suburban neighborhood, smack dab in the middle of the Pine Barrens. And that's that's what I thought. So so how does how does Ted become the wolf in the in the in the book? Because right out of the fucking gate in the movie, it's it's not a secret. It's just like, oh, yep. Yep. Ted's the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a little bit of like planting and payoff in the book. But it's like if you if you knew coming in, and it's it's a dog versus werewolf book. You're going to like it's obvious, but uh, it's described as exposition. As uh, the family is driving to Ted. Well, they do that in the film, too, yeah. How Ted, he went to Nepal, not the Amazon. Yes. They mentioned the Amazon in the film, I think. It's funny because, okay, it's Borneo, technically. It's Borneo. It's Borneo, technically, and I will tell I'll, I will tell you why when we get there, but go ahead. Okay, um, so he's in Nepal, which has Himalayan wolves, so it's obvious, like there could be wolves there. Um, he's, he's in the tent with, uh, Marjorie, his girlfriend. They really are going to town, by the way. You think that. And so we don't actually see the attack. Whoa. We don't see the attack in the book, unfortunately. Oh, no. It's described as like, he wakes up, the tent's torn to pieces. He has like scratch marks. And, but again, exposition, he goes to, he's on trial. He is in prison for like a year waiting on trial. And then he gets out. Wow. Yeah, like in the movie, like he just gets to go back home. It's like, no, there would have been an investigation because in the movie there's like guides and stuff. And there's like there's a whole heap more people missing and there's blood everywhere. Like it is a whole year, though, as we find out in the movie. But maybe maybe that did happen. It's inferred. I mean, again, I'm still like hung up on the fact that his wife or girlfriend or whatever literally gets ripped out of this Ted while she's in the about to climax on top of him <laughs> and it gets literally shredded like a fucking like cheese on a cheese crater by this thing. It is brutal in the film. Let me lay this down for you, okay? Because this film originally got an NC-17 rating. I-, I would have to guess for this scene and maybe the one at the end when Dennis gets grabbed by the neck. You mean this YA novel adaptation almost had an NC-17 rating? Yeah. <laughs> so it was specifically for the opening scene, right, guys? And again, I can't stress enough, if you're a fan of this film, if you've seen this film, please go grab that fucking Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray because everything's on there. And one of the special features is the unrated intro, but it's only intact via VHS. So it's a VHS rip. So it's not like a fully restored uh, piece of film. Okay. However, 
So we open up and uh, we're it, it, there's a title card that says Borneo and it like comes in and it's pretty much all the, it, it's pretty much all the same. But the fuck scene, there is so much more fucking <laughs> dude. You see this whole chick's ass and 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 Michael Pere is grabbing this chick's ass and he's just, it's like a fucking Skinamax episode uh, movie, dude. Was he was he wearing that sock that Lobo told us about? Did he have it on? Oh, dude, he had to sock that Johnson. And let me tell you something. This chick, dude, he better fucking he better fucking gorilla uh, fucking taped his cock back, dude, because because she is like, whoa, baby, she is grinding up on him something serious. Like he again, he's got a handful of ass, and you see that you don't see that in the uh, the regular cut. No, you don't. I love how the guides are just just outside the tent too. Oh yeah, they're like, oh, we're listening to those American people fuck. But like, he dude, he hits her fucking doggy style. He hits her fucking uh, missionary. He hits her all these different ways. Now the big part for me, I mean, whatever, I can do, I can do without the softcore porn. But like, so the werewolf rips open the tent in this wonderful, wonderful fucking scary scene. Could you imagine? being you know you got this beautiful woman on top of you riding you right and this fucking like claw like uh silhouette comes and fucking slashes the tent open and fucking pulls this chick out of the tent okay i mean it's definitely better than having a proboscis just shoot into her ass and just suck her dry well that's true too but these these cats aren't rolling around on fucking pringles and hot dogs man they're 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 doing it the right way yes I've I've been in uh, parties like bonfire parties where you know me and Chickadee are in the tent, and then someone decided to put in firecrackers and and Roman candles into our tent. Uh, what are they insane? So I know I know the feeling. Smith, you could have got seriously burned. I know. That's why I was yelling at them when I got out. Roman candle. That's insane. For two reasons: one, for that, and two, really ruined the vibe with with me and her yeah i can imagine well that too so the big thing with this scene for me personally is the extra gore so the werewolf rips her out of the tent and ted immediately jumps out uh michael Perret immediately jumps out and the fucking werewolf like just slaps him in the chest and he's just like completely gored on his chest with a big scratch right so the werewolf picks the, this chick up and he's like, got his, he's like biting on her fucking, on her, on her shoulder and he's just like slashing her up and stuff. But like there's extra, uh, ripping of her up. And then, you know that scene, like right at the end, right before fucking Ted blows its head off with a shotgun? Where he just, where he just wallops her out of the air like he's fucking Umaga? Where he picks her up and fucking wallops her down? Dude, right before that, there was a scene that was cut where he fucking rips her arm off and the arm is just like shooting blood all over the place and he just like throws it to the side and then like screams in her face and then wallops her. Okay, so they leave the head de- decapitation in but they leave they t- they don't leave in the the arm rip off. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just he's when he smacks her to the ground it, it's whatever. But like again, that's what earned it the NC17 and like even at the time Eric Red was like what the fuck are you hit me with NC17 for? Like have you not seen the movies in the past fucking 10, 15 years? In 20 years? Yeah, in 96, it's like, 
it's not, in 96 it's weird to slap a movie with that because like robocop has has not only happened but it happened three times at this point like robocop maniac uh, uh evil dead dead alive i mean there's just so many films every friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street yeah for those who know how the mpa works it's never the same body when a when a movie's presented to him so like this could have been like a really t- like uptight bunch of people who are looking at this movie in particular. Yeah, but there there is a lot of there is a lot of fucking for sure. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of ass maybe I'll post the cl- I'll post the unrated clip on uh, online and then we'll, and then we'll get taken down. I think it was Taxi Driver that Scorsese just like he kept submitting to the MPA. They kept hitting him with an X rating. So to combat this, he just kept giving them the same cut over and over and over again, convincing them he had cut things out. And then eventually they were like, yeah, cool, this works. And he never cut anything out. It's possible, dude. I think uh, Psycho 2 with Alfred Hitchcock did that as well. Yeah, he just he just, he just just beat them to death. Like, <laughs> But Smith brought this point up before, way in the beginning of the episode. Uh, this werewolf smelled them fucking. That's why it came a-calling, dude. Oh, yeah. It was like, I smell some, f- I smell some fuck going on. I want to get in on this. I I smell a rumpus. <laughs> and then uh and then and then when it actually got up there, it realized, oh wait, actually I'm just gonna kill this woman. Eviscerate her, actually. Oh no, this this was this was a mistake. Uh Thor smells fucking uh this book is oddly horny um yeah yeah well that maybe the werewolf's horny too that's what i'm saying it's possible yeah okay so so he he shoots the werewolf's head off and then we we go back to thor so so take us back on this thor journey smith yeah now now ted is scratched he's a werewolf there it is yeah so the book actually begins in thor no guesswork um after the bear thor uh perspective starts uh we do get the flopsy um situation happen um, this is where we get dad where like Wayne had to be a dad writing this or this is like the book is almost dad porn at this point. Okay. What like daddy porn you mean? Like and then someone touched the thermostat and dad was cross. No, no. Oh God. No, no, no. What? Like leather daddy? Yeah. No, no. Well, there is a scene. Choke me daddy. <laughs> but um, dad is always in the right just because the situation uh, applies for it. So what Flopsy is, uh, they're going to the beach. Thor loves the beach. and What? <laughs> the beach? They're planning on a trip to the beach. Thor, like, like again, Thor's the goodest boy. He's like, the beach, I love the beach. Um, so they're all, the kids are playing outside. In comes creepy dude. Thor whiffs them, smells them. Uh, and is like, yeah, this guy ain't good. I don't like him. He didn't shower. He talks about the education thing. And I thought that was weird. And then mom comes out and then Thor's like trying to like the book is presenting like from Thor's perspective where it's like, all right, I'm not going to growl at him. I'm going to stand very stern. And then and then I'm going to snarl my teeth a little bit, but not growl. And then I'm going to do a little growl. Um, Like this is all Thor's processing. This is his thinking. It's just like I'm here to defend everyone. You're different levels of intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So how it's described from Thor's perspective is that the man put his arm up and going to go behind mom's neck when she looks down for something. And that's when Thor attacked his pant leg, not his leg, just the pant leg itself, ripping the pants. Um, and that's when dad comes out. And dad is comes out, says, I'm a lawyer. Uh, then he threatens to call the sheriff. 
and then like explains that like i know i know your game here i know what you're doing but then like he he like goes through this weird process where like he actually like writes up and like uh an itinerary for the pants and the situation and talks about like yeah i'm gonna give you 50 bucks for the pants and then we're gonna call it evens and the guy's like saying you know f you or whatever but then he's like oh um what if I call the sheriff and say I saw you touching yourself in front of my children in the yard? Oh, oh my god! Oh my goodness! He pulled the fucking pedo thing on him, huh? Yeah. So like, it's weird because like in the situation, he clearly is like dad's clearly like got this guy on a peg, right? Yeah. But like then you add the pedo thing, it's like uh, that's a little extreme. Like it's a little extreme, dad. Yeah. He's a lawyer. He is a lawyer for sure. You know what? I think I like the movie version better. I, I prefer the movie version because it doesn't go that hard. It doesn't it doesn't go like like into a, like a disgusting territory, but it, it like totally gets the point across, you know? Exactly. It makes Janet like into a strong maternal figure in the context of a horror film, which I think is always important because like it it's And a woman, yeah. Yeah, it is a necessary pivot from a screaming idiot to a force of absolute strength. For sure. So I I think the dad not being in the movie only helps Janet's character in the movie tenfold. Well, you got to think too. Now you're only down to really four characters if you count Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you have mom, a uh, son. Ted and dog. That's it, really. I think it's a test. It's a testament to fucking Eric Red, dude, taking this fucking story and, and and really like cutting it down, but also keeping the edge and what makes the story so great. Agreed. But it's fucking baffling that that's that's in the book. Like what? Well, it's baffling that he had that he 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 pushed so much together to make something as that feels as tight and streamlined as it is. Like it doesn't feel like there's any like. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice was made that hurt the movie. Right. No, I agree. Yeah, it it, it definitely like he took out bits uh, and and uh, consolidated aspects down. Um, I would say though, like because Brett was three different characters in the book, you do have some scenes where like Brett is the teenage or like the twelve year old Teddy from the book. There's a little Teddy who's named after Uncle Ted, who like who Thor doesn't play with anymore and Teddy like he resents Thor now because he's a teenager and like Thor doesn't listen to him and in Thor's head he's like you're not a man yet I don't have to listen to you I outrank you (laughs) your balls haven't dropped yet buddy Thor does smell his balls at one point it's like they haven't dropped yet kid (laughs) that's a great dynamic though that I do like so then like you have that aspect in in little bits of the movie but then you also have like little kid Brett who is like I think eight or seven years old and like you, you do see that in the scene where, like, they're on the couch watching a werewolf movie. He's starting to sound like like my little brother when he was, like, five or six, where it's like, don't you know anything about, like, werewolves and stuff? Sure, yeah. Oh, you know, that scene is so good. It made me think of uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead, where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is a werewolf movie, but, like, don't just assume the rules are the same as every other movie, because, like... That's the point where Ted finally goes to stay with them after, like, they visit him at the lake. And, you know, they're watching the literal Wolfman. Well, they're watching Werewolf of London. Oh, is it? Okay, I thought it was the actual Wolfman shit. Oh, okay, that was Werewolf in London? Werewolf of London. Yeah, that movie's actually mentioned in... Yeah, it's mentioned in the book. Um, Ted uh, is doing research. Uh, Like, in the movie, there's, like, a little lab. There's no lab in the book, um, but there is, like, mentions after the end of the... um, at the end of the story where Ted like did research called libraries watched werewolf of London. And it's just like a little drop reference. There's a couple of those in the book. Like, so in the book, does he, um, 
I guess just to put a pin on that scene, does he make the comment that, oh, well, in the movies, it's got to be a full moon, but it seems like, you know, any moon will do, or what, whatever he says, basically implying that even if it's a crescent moon, he transforms. I love that. No, it's, it's I, I think it's full moon in the book. It never really, because we only ever get the time frame of full moons. We never get a conversation about other moons. I love the idea, yeah, I'm going with Joe here. I love the idea that it's just, it's not like, the full moon is like that's bullshit. Yeah, it's every fucking night, which makes the the existence of being a werewolf even fucking worse. Well, he makes the comment. He's like, "Well, it's a bad moon because he's just saying every moon is, you know, it's the title of the movie is like it's just." Well, yeah, but yeah, but like to, to Connor's point, like that's a, you're exactly right, Connor. Like the 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 fact that like not only do you like you become a little wolfier in the movies like towards the full moon, but like Ted's like. Why? Why a full moon? Any moon is is good because every night I turn into this fucking monster, you know. And that's why he has to like go on a a, a jog <laughs> to, to to tie himself to to fucking uh you know handcuff himself to a fucking tree so he doesn't kill his family. I I gotta say something about that though because like once he's living at the house, I I kind of love how uh, as that's going on. And I'm sure Smith will get into this a little bit more, but Thor is trying his damnedest to try to make sure that Ted doesn't move in. And, you know, of course it happens because it's the adults, the humans talking. Not to move in, but he's protective. He's like, wait a second, something's wrong here. Like, you're not the Ted that I knew and you're encroaching on my fucking pack. Like, what's the deal here? And previous to this, uh, Smith, I want you to elaborate, but the first kill we get in the movie that we see besides Marjorie in the beginning, his, you know, Ted's wife or girlfriend, whatever the fuck it is, um is this surveyor who's, like, measuring trees? <laughs> this guy's an idiot! In the middle of the night. Let me tell you something, dude. Dude, it is American Werewolf in London on the moors in the best way possible. There's fog. We got a fucking crane shot going in this in this fucking woods. And um, this guy's just measuring why he's doing it at night. I don't know. But... But the one thing that stands out for me for this scene is that the werewolf is in a fucking tree. And he looks up, and the fucking spit is coming down its mouth and into this guy's mouth. And then he bites this guy's fucking head with the helmet on, and it's the, the force is so strong that it squishes the helmet and fucking pops this dude's head. It's awesome. Also, it's so it's so predator, it's awesome. Yeah. And the aftermath, too. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, the aftermath, he's, like, stuck. All his body parts are, like, stuck on fucking pieces of this fucking tree that Thor finds later. Mm-hmm. So... Uncle Ted is like the best ever, the best uncle. He's like a photojournalist. Well, he's Michael Paré, so yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, and by the way, just I just want to throw it out there now. Uh, I don't know if I said it already, but Mariel uh, Hemingway is Ernst, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Oh, all right. Nice. Which is bizarre, and she also had a <laughs> Eric Red. Uh, for lack of a better term, did not was not happy with her acting on this. But anyway, yeah, she's she's fine in certain scenes, and others just like, are you sleepwalking through this or what? Like, w- once the action heats up, she's really good, though. Oh, she's really good at the end. I mean, she is good. Well, that's that's because he used that tactic where he just like kept making her do the scene over and over again until she got pissed off, and then and then the emotion came out. Oh, but um, 
but yeah, to Smith's point, uh, so that was the first kill. So, so what do we got cooking here? But so uh, they go up to see Uncle Ted, who's very like he's very reluctant to have people come over. Uh, he's he's isolated in a cabin, not in a trailer. Oh, interesting. Okay. And Thor loves Uncle Ted. He's like considered part of the pack, but not part of the pack. Like he loves him. But like you said, like you said, and this is you know um, credit for the dog actor. Like he in the book, he goes up to Uncle Ted and he immediately knows that something's wrong when he says hello, Thor. And it's like very sad, but he doesn't realize like what's going on. And it's weird. And he he knows an old dog when he sees one, you know, that's a good line. Unfortunately, that's not. Oh, it's so fucking good, dude. And it's not in the book. I got to say, like, just again, like not to keep sniffing Michael Perry's farts, but like <laughs> the interactions he has as Ted with Thor just get progressively sadder and then they get fucking infuriating. Like, it's so good. Oh, absolutely. He's bringing it. He's bringing it. His character, like, really, like, pisses me off. And I guess that's kind of, like, the point is because in the beginning of the movie... And especially when uh, Janet goes through his journal, you kind of start to see this guy's psyche over the last year and a half that he's been dealing with this. And it's like, at first, like, I mean, I guess when you see the journal entries, maybe this is less apparent. Like, maybe he's been, he's lost it a while ago. But early on in the film, it's like, as the audience, we know what the deal is, but, like, nobody else does. And he's kind of trying to keep it on the DL, like you're explaining, Smith. Mm -hmm. But, like, as soon as, like, all those cops come in after he kills somebody, like, I guess it's this uh, tree surveyor. Uh, close to his cabin he's like yeah i gotta get the fuck out of here i think the hiker is stuck to the tree and to your point sean uh brett when he's in the trailer and they're in, uh, for their visit at the lake in the movie anyway um he comes across uh, uh 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 this like secret thing that ted has and it's like this little like pop-up laboratory because he has like this microscope and all of these vials of like I don't know what, herbal remedies, blood, what have you. <laughs> he picks up a, a a vial full of yellow liquid. I'm like, all right, Dennis the Menace just handled his uncle's fucking urine. <laughs> <laughs> the werewolf piss. He has a little House of the Dead, uh, you know, blood slide there. Each one is still alive. Dennis the Menace fucking pulls out this lore book, this werewolf lore book. Oh, yeah. And I could not help but think that it was Montague Summers' uh, The Werewolf. Uh... And if y'all don't know what that is, brush up on your fucking Montague Summers, man. And again, uh, we talked previously about uh, the Phantom Zone and 3M files, and I want my fucking werewolf episode where I can talk about (laughs) Montague Summers and werewolves and the vampire in Europe and all of that shit. But that being said... You hear that, Arlen Haro from the Phantom Zone podcast? You hear that, Arlen Haro from the Phantom Zone, and that was on the Wraith episode? My point is Ted was trying to figure out like how to cure himself. Right, well, right. And he had this lab in his fucking Airstream. But anyway, uh, so so how do they address that in the book, Smith? Uh, there is no lab, and we find out like at the very end of the story, at the end of the book, that Ted was researching, visiting libraries, calling them up, being like, hey, you have any books on werewolves? Uh, but that's the extent of his research. He doesn't go to doctors. There's no journal entry. And I actually kind of have an issue with the journal entry. Well, I mean, we can talk about that now, honestly, because I kind of want to talk about how he comes here to try to like his last ditch effort is, well, maybe the love of the family will cure me for some reason. I think that's really sweet, man. He's like, he's like, well, nothing would work. He visited a doctor who like took his blood and was like, I don't know what this disease is. And he's tried all like Wolfsbane, quote unquote, or, or like whatever the fuck herbal remedy to try to fix this. 
sure. I mean, I want to hear what Smith has to say because I want to see how that's explained in the novel. But I guess. Well, yeah, but but in the film, he's like, oh, his last ditch effort is like the power of love, right? With his family, like maybe maybe this is the answer. So he goes to stay with uh, Janet and and Brett to see if that will because it it made him feel so good to see them up at the lake. Well, okay, right, right. You know, so maybe that'll work. That's that's his motivation to go move in with them, quote unquote. From a plot standpoint, you're 100 percent right. Like, yeah, that that is his motivation. I'm just thinking from the perspective of, hey, if I got turned into a fucking werewolf and my options were this, this, or this, like, okay, yeah, I, I could see he's, like, rasping for straws, like, something's got to work to do this. Well. But I, I'm kind of, like, of the mindset of, like, well, I think he's being a little selfish. I get, like, his mind's probably shot to shit after everything he's been through. But it's, like, that thing where it's, like, I'm just putting a bullet in my fucking head or staying in the goddamn woods. I don't know. I agree. The suicide thing I think I would do before I moved in with my sister and her little son. Because you're putting him in danger. Yeah. The character of Uncle Ted um, is much more... I think much more tragic in the book than it is in the movie, even though like, again, the actor's doing a really, really great job, especially when he's on the phone crying and it's like the police are there. Like that's, that was really, really good. Like I felt that. Um, but like as the movie progresses and he becomes more of the, the villain, the antagonist versus like in the book, it's very much more of like, he's just there and, and doesn't want this and, and is just tired. And it's very, very tragic at the end. He literally has a pissing contest with the dog. I mean, at one point. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, literally. And he starts to spiral down that fucking thing, which I think you were just about to touch on, where it's a thing where Ted is trying to um, cure himself via the power of love because he's exhausted all aspects of it. But he doesn't... but, but, But in the movie... Oh, that obviously doesn't work. So then he be- he starts to become fucking kind of unhinged um, to the point where he's like, well, fuck it. I've tried everything. I don't know. I don't know what else to do. And this is just kind of what I'm going to do. Not suicide, though. <laughs> I think his, his other thing is like, maybe, you know, maybe it'd be good for me. But I think he underestimates how much of a threat Thor recognizes him as. And then he eventually, I think first he sees Thor as like, Look, I'm sorry, like you know, uh, you know, old, you know, old friend, but like, it is what it is. And then later on, he's like, "Now you're an active threat to my sanity and my comfort, and I have to get rid of you." Or an a- an active threat to your pack, because he's like, "Fuck you, Thor! Now you're getting sent away because you bit my arm." God, I love the escalation between those two because, like, it starts off as like just Thor being outside his trailer, like the fuck are you on <laughs> dude thor catches him in the fucking woods because he ch- uh, I, I got we got to bring this up because maybe that'll be easier to explain so thor fucking goes out and and chases uncle uh ted into the woods uh after ted goes on a jog and ted has handcuffed himself to a fucking tree and he has turned into ted wolf and thor is there and he's like oh you're a fi- i knew it look at you motherfucker I love it, and, like, fucking when Ted looks at... God, the interaction between Ted the wolf and Thor the dog are awesome because, like, Ted the wolf looks at me, he's like, he's like, you motherfucker. Yeah, and he's like, bitch, I'm the motherfucking alpha here. Yeah. <laughs> Pisses on his fucking airstream. There is that dichotomy uh, between Thor and the wolf, especially in that first encounter. Um, Like like I said, there's no trailer, there's no airstream, there's a, uh, an attic apartment above the garage that's where ted is oh my god what is he elf what the fuck is going on here hello thor 
I mean, the guy's a lawyer. He can afford a, an apartment above the garage, I guess. No problem. He does pee on the banister of the stairs towards the attic, though, to, to establish dominance. He pisses <laughs> in the house? No, no, the, the stairs are outside the house. Oh, okay. Well, he pisses on Thor's house in the... in the. Uh... That's the fucking best. Yeah, he pisses on the doghouse in, in the movie. No, Thor pees on the banister of the stairs leading up to the apartment to show Uncle Ted, like, this is mine. Um, there is no doghouse peeing, but that was a great scene. What if Dennis the Menace saw his uncle pissing on the dog's house? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That would break, I mean, obviously it would break everything, but like after that point in the film, now that Thor's gone in the film, you know, Ted is like, I, I won, I'm going to piss on the doghouse because he pissed on my Airstream, question mark. But then like Ted becomes like totally unhinged to the point where like he doesn't leave because he's been trying to leave the airstream like early enough where he can go away from Janet and Brett and 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 lock himself up, restrain himself. But that particular night, he like waits until it's dark. Dude, he waits till the moon is out already. Yeah, and I'm like, why aren't you already transformed? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the second time he leaves late, and yeah, that that's like a continuity issue because before that, yes, he has to leave before the sun goes down, before the moon rises up. And if you think about it, it's kind of Thor's fault. That he's not chaining himself up to the tree? Yes. That first time is totally his fault, yeah. Yes, that is in the book where Thor is outside waiting at the attic stairs. And eventually, like, he tries to go into the woods and do it, but it's too late. Man, that is such an excellent scene in the movie where where Thor's barking and, and uh, uh, Brett lets him out. Dennis the Menace lets him out. And he goes into the woods and he finds the fucking ripped shirt and the fucking joggers and the and the ripped up Nikes and the fucking uh, handcuffs are on the ground. And then he's and then like Thor like realizes like, oh, shit, the fucking wolf is back at the house and he runs back and the werewolf is just about to get to the house and he like fucking attacks him. And then uh, Mariel Hemingway like turns on the lights outside and it scares the werewolf like into the woods after a little, you know, uh, battle one per se, I guess is what you'd say. Yeah, it is is definitely battle one. Um, So first off, the werewolf is called, because it's all from Thor's perspective and he doesn't know what a werewolf is, it's called, he's Thor calls it the bad thing. I kind of love that. The bad thing? I kind of like that. I kind of love it too. It it has a very, like, Thor's chapters are very kind of simplistic and tries to, like, convey that, that point of view where it's like, dad is alpha, the family is the pack. Uh, the kids are the pups. The bad thing is not Uncle Ted. Like, they have different smells. Like, he smells around, and it's like... Oh. But he does confront Uncle Ted, right? Because, I mean, that's a big plot point of the movie, too, where, like, Thor knows something's up with Uncle Ted when he's the when he's a human. Yes, right from the get-go. Um, the way it's described in the book is that, like, Uncle Ted, like, he, he averts eye contact, he slumps down, and Thor... He realizes, in his words, it's Uncle Ted is acting like a bad dog. Uncle, that, that okay, no, that's the thing. That is, that's bad dog lang- body language. It's like, that's amazing. It's also, also what it is, it's, it's fear. Yeah. It's not just bad dog, it's fear, like, or it's intimidation, or it's, or it's uncertainty. Like, that's how, that's how we assess dogs in, in hospitals. Like, all right, what are because, like, a lot of people think, like, wagging tail happy dog no wagging tail can mean a few different things and that's what i think most people get hung up on but like 
yeah other bits of body language are like um are the ears go down the head goes down the shoulders go down like there's they're not looking at you they're looking away like right if i'm wrestling a dog or not wrestling a dog but i'm going to handle it and one of the first things it does is breaks eye contact with me and throws its head to the side and is looking away from me i'm like ah nope <laughs> mm, interesting i didn't know that dog's gonna bite me um, and the dog dog that bit me in the face was not looking at me when it bit me in the face. Mm, that's good to know. I had that too when I was a kid. A Rottweiler chomped on my head. Ooh, whoa, that's my worst fear. Oh shit, man. Ooh, yeah, that was that was a. You know what? Yo, I think everyone should have at least one bad dog experience, so you realize, like, hey, this is a living animal. I, I'm good. I've had nothing but good experiences, and I'll, I'll keep them. I got bit in the face twice. Once as a kid, and, and once uh, this, this past Saturday. I had a golden retriever. His name was Buzz, and it was my first. It was our first golden retriever, and he was sleeping on my bed. But what's funny about what you're talking about is like that's exactly the same mentality as Thor, I feel like this dog, Buzz, the Golden Retriever had, where it's like, above me, but I was a teenager. Yep. You know, I wasn't a man yet, what have you, but he was sleeping in my bed, and he claimed it as his own, rather, and I rolled over one night, scared the shit out of me, woke me up out of a fucking sound sleep, I guess I was rolling over, and he fucking went to go after me, and he bit my forearm, because I guess I woke him up or scared him or some shit, Uh, but... Yeah, that really that was the only interaction with a dog like that that I've had. And that wasn't he and that was you can attest that to shock. Like like the fuck. Yeah, and maybe I maybe I scared him and he scared me kind of thing, but Yeah, that's kind of that's how that's sometimes that's how it works. Like golden sort like also the thing with golden retrievers is most people are like they're the happiest dogs ever. Like no, they're actually in the top biters. Yeah. Um Golden Retrievers will bite you before a fucking pit bull will. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, Golden Retrievers, Dachshunds, Rat Terriers, and Chihuahuas are among the breeds that will, like, okay, it's on a list that's entitled Aggression. I don't believe in aggressive breeds. It is animals that are likely to bite you before someone else will. Our Golden Retriever Boomer would would never, ever, ever, ever do that. Yeah, yeah, it's just like so, so you meet, but I've I've met some where it's like fuck that dog, like <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So, oh, so, so for the flopsy thing, uh, I just want to come back to that because this is the moment where the 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 werewolf is loose now, right? Because Ted didn't get to the fucking tree in time, so he comes and they have that scuffle. But this werewolf is roaming around the outside of the house and kill and, and the fucking um the flopsy guy comes. And this scumbag's got a fucking meat cleaver, I guess, ready to fucking, I don't know what, hit Thor, kill the dog. He's gonna kill Thor! Yeah, he's gonna kill Thor with a fucking meat cleaver. But this werewolf, Ted Wolf, shows up and scares the shit out of this guy. He fucking slashes him up the front, cuts him in half in the middle, slits his throat, and also cuts his fingers off so they're all, like, hanging off, and then bitch smacks him into the fucking woods. He gives this dude a dragon uppercut into the forest, and you never see him again. (laughs) Apparently he's on the side of the road. It was a goddamn homicidal maniac. Sure you can. So, Flopsy actually survives in the book. Fuck that guy. Boo. (laughs) And and he actually settles money with um, Tom, the dad character. Oh, no! He gets gets $5,000. Fuck him! I'm glad he dies in the movie. It is way more satisfying to watch him get eviscerated because, like, yeah, he, like, as Joe was saying, like, 
in just two swipes, Ted fucks this dude up real badly. And I love how destructive it makes a werewolf attack look. It is ferocious. I love it too because the Flopsy guy, there's like a, there's like a solid 30 seconds where he's just like completely like dumbfounded and you see him like ripped up the front and he'd like he's looking at his hand and his fucking fingers are hanging off and he's like oh my god what happened yeah and like the way ted attacks him was like he like you said like he he swipes him upwards which wrecks his chest and his hand and then slashes his throat and then he just turns around and like you said like for a half minute he's just like and ted's like (laughs) what ted's like just taking this fucking moment how, how is uh, a lot of these scenes described in the book though like is it just from the dog's pov is, is, is it, it well flopsy doesn't die but so flopsy doesn't die but another character does die in this scene it's kitty oh, oh. i fucking knew that was gonna happen kitty dies come on because that was my next question i i just assumed the cat was gonna die but i was wondering if any of the other characters died from the main family so let me describe kitty to you so you feel as bad as i do fuck man why kitty of all of the characters i know i think it's because you have to at some point you have to have the catharsis of thor beating this thing's ass i guess so but like they do it better in the movie but anyway so kitty is a little white kitten newest member of the family thor tried playing with him by chasing him like a dog but realized that doesn't work so thor sits down and lays his head down so that kitty can lunge and hit his face and latch on and that's how they play (laughs) oh i've seen this exact thing in this house too sometimes kitty likes to explore and found himself in the food pantry where thor's food is and thor being the goodest of good boys is trying to get kitty out but kitty is scared so but thor is just like he's in there with my food i don't want him to get to my food so thor nudges his nose into the food pantry and starts taking the cans of food out one by one being like this is my food (laughs) you don't go in my food kitty this is mine it is so goddamn adorable oh that's funny as hell so go ahead lay it on me how does this fucking werewolf kill this cat for christ's sake from thor's perspective he rushes let me okay bear in mind this is supposed to be a young adult novel rushes over to uh to the house and he hears the the cat yowling and screaming and 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 the the werewolf making lots of noises um and we find out later like we find kitty just completely ripped apart without a head ah just oh looking over my cats right now being like you don't know how lucky you are much better as flopsy in my opinion much better oh god yeah yeah it's much better than flopsy gets unbelievably ripped apart credit to uh to wayne though the author um, because this is one of those things where like it feels like a like you're planting something because Thor goes after the werewolf. He bites the leg so his blood in his mouth and the, the wolf runs away before anyone like any adult can see. Little Brett sees him like the little little kid. Oh, so I'm thinking like as I'm reading it, so I'm like, OK, dad's going to find the cat completely fucked up. Thor have blood in his mouth. And there's going to be a big thing. He's going to go to the pound because of it. Like, I'm thinking, like, all this in my head, thinking, like, I got you, Wayne. I got you. But no. Dad finds the cat and goes to Thor and be like, did you do this? But Thor does not do bad dog behavior. He's not lowering his head down. He's not guilty of it. He just looks at Dad. And to Dad. Because he's like, what the fuck, man? I didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. I defended you. I defended you. And this is how you repay me. So, like, Dad recognizes, like, he didn't do it. Which I thought, you know, I did not expect that. But the next day, 
Thor smells the blood from Ted's leg that he bit and's like, oh, Ted is the bad thing. That's when it clicks. Oh. So then the next day the attack happens where Thor attacks Uncle Ted, aiming for the neck. And he knows, he like in the book, he describes like, I'm going to do the worst bad dog thing ever to protect the family. And I'm like, Thor, <laughs> Thor, I love you, bro. Oh, he's going to kill Uncle Ted because he needs to. He's going to try. He's going to try. And he misses and gets the arm. He doesn't get his neck. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. He gets the arm. Yeah. Yep. And um, dad occasionally would throw. Same as the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead of throwing him in the laundry room, throws him down in the basement. And Thor feels bad because, you know, Kitty died. He feels bad that he failed. He feels bad that everyone thinks he's a bad dog. And he feels like a bad dog. And he just wants to be a good boy, guys. So then he gets dragged to the pound. Oh, God. I, I'm, oh. Okay, wait, wait. Before you get to the pound, I just want to note that in the movie... Uh, Janet finds pictures that Ted has of Marjorie fucking ripped apart by the werewolf in fucking Borneo. <laughs> yes, I will actually want to talk about that because that's not in the book and I really don't like this part of, of the movie or at least where it's placed in the movie. It's the most movie thing about the fucking movie because it's like, why do you have that, dude? Yeah, well, like, I, I get it, but not really. Only because, like, it neat. it's a thing where Janet starts to think that Ted might be a serial killer, not a werewolf, but like maybe he's a killer of other things because she asked the sheriff like, hey, by the way, I know you're coming to take my fucking dog away because you think he killed this uh, flopsy guy, but do you think a man could have killed those five hikers up in Timberline? And the sheriff's like, nah, nah, it was a fucking giant animal. You ripped him apart. It couldn't be no man. It was, a, it was a big brown snake or something. It was a big brown snake, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's that instance where, you know, Janet is thinking about the fact that, like, is t is Ted unhinged? Is he crazy? Did he kill Marjorie? Did he kill these people? You know, which I think is a a pretty good element to the film story. Yeah, and I also get like it's his it's her brother. She may not just immediately go to the police. She's gonna try to figure it out and maybe confront him, which she does. She does. She fucking asks him straight up. She's like, "Hey, if I ask you a question, are you gonna tell me the truth?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "What happened? Where's Marjorie?" And he says, "Oh, she's in Seattle." And she's like, okay. And obviously that's not true because she just saw pictures of her fucking mutilated. Now, now that's the moment when I pick the phone up and make a phone call. Not just like, I guess I'll confront him again in the woods when he leaves at midnight. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it is her brother, Sean. That's the thing. Like, uh, maybe I just don't have that kind of loyalty. I don't know. <laughs> if it was your brother, you wouldn't be like, hey, man, what the fuck is going on? Before you call the authorities. To your point, she, she just did. She just said you wouldn't lie to me would you and he did well <laughs> the phone calls coming well to be fair she goes after him for his jog and she's thinking about taking that fucking revolver but she doesn't oh man she really shit the bed on that one yeah all right so the diary and the pictures are not in the book that's completely 100 a movie thing and i don't like how where it's placed if she found it after taking thor away yes that would have made sense because that would have been her catalyst of just like oh I was wrong, Thor's protecting us, because your brother has a picture of his dead girlfriend mutilated and has diary entries of him blacking out and waking up covered in blood that isn't his. Yes. As a mother, as a, as a supposedly smart lawyer mother, you know that this is an unsafe situation. The, where it's placed 
and she still takes Thor away after the attack. Notices that her brother acts weird. I found, like, it took me out. I would argue that it is a kind of this is my brother kind of thing where if it was a stranger, obviously you'd be like, no, fuck this, man. I'm going to the fucking cops. But it's like, what is going on? And I need to know the truth and I need to know what the fuck is. If I can help my brother, I will. Right. No, yeah. Even if he is a fucking, even if he is a fucking uh, uh, serial killer, like I want to try to help him before I call the authorities to put him away. You know what I mean? I also think that in the, also like it speaks to the, cultural stance that animals are property and not part of the family right where it comes down to brass tacks like dog or brother brother even if it's just, it's a situation where the dog was right that's a great that's a that's a great uh observation connor because it, it, it's one of those things where the sheriff's like yeah i've got to put the dog here give me the dog and and she's just like, okay, we got to give him away, Dennis the Menace. That's just the way it is. And I don't want to get into detail of it, but like we had an incident at my hospital recently where and it wasn't just me. Actually, the same day that I went home, somebody else got attacked. Oh, shit. Uh, we had a foundation dog that was there for just too long. And like sometimes they're there too long. And they get agitated. And that's understandable. They're, they get agitated. And the, he got out and he got a hold of somebody. Everyone's fine. But unfortunately, that dog's fate is not good. Sealed. It's sealed. It's sealed, yes. And, like, it's there's, it's a situation where it's like, no, the law says this, so we have to proceed as this, where it's like they excise the, the gray area where it's like, okay, but this dog was here for so fucking long and the foundations won't fucking come and get it that it's become this snarling caged beast that lashed out and, like, it could have been prevented. So, like... Yeah, it's tragic. Yeah, it sucks. And this situation, like, as a viewer, like, you know, you're like, no, Thor was objectively correct. Yeah. But it's almost like, it's it's almost telegraphed. Like, as soon as it happens, you're like, fuck. Like, I know exactly this is going to pan out. Like... Yeah. It's still sad. <laughs> I cry every time I see this fucking scene. I teared up hard. It sucks. I fucking hated it. I hated it because, like, again, like, it's it's done so convincingly and, like, the fact that, like, they had to take him out of the laundry room and they used two rabies poles. I fucking hate rabies poles. I can't stand using them. Dude, there's this fucking, like, scene where he's in the laundry room and then it, like, slow dissolves to him laying down and then it happens. So all this time passed where they were contemplating if they should do it or not. Yeah, and, like... And, like, uh, the mom's being like, no, he's dangerous and blah, blah. And it's like, no, he's not. To Dennis. And Dennis is like, no, Mom, Thor's fine. I hate it. And, like, the thing is, Thor's presence is so effective that as soon as he's out of the movie for a little bit, you're like, fuck, I missed that dog. Like, <laughs> How can you not miss that dog? Yeah, not, not only fuck you miss that dog, but, like, fuck, these people are fucked. They are, they are dead. Yeah. I'm also, like, really curious to find out, like, do we get a bunch of scenes from Thor, like, in the pound? Like, how does that play out? Yeah. You get more than that, so. Oh, no. All right, get ready to cry, boys. Hold on. Before we get ready to cry, is there a big body count in the in the book? No. Um, the, the tree surveyor is a female hiker that Thor finds um, that doesn't, like, really go anywhere but it's the catalyst for for why he goes to the house so they added to the movie they they replaced a a female hiker with the tree surveyor okay and the kitty and kitty's flopsy and kitty's flopsy okay and kitty's flopsy and that is that is it yeah oh and uncle 
Uncle Ted. Uncle, well, Uncle Ted, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, anyway. All right, so, yeah, Diary is not in the book. So when everyone finds Thor attacking Ted, it's just, wow, this is really unprovoked and crazy. We have to, like, we have to take him away. Um, we find out that he was going to get euthanized the next day. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, I, I that's what I figured, right? That's what happens to those dogs. Well, no, there's a 10-day there's a quarantine if they have no to see if it's a rabies kind of thing. See, that's what I thought. I was like, there's no way, like, the next day, but... Which is why, like, what, what Brett does is totally believable because, like, he has a window. Like, I, it, typically, in, a, in the case of a dog attack like that, there should be a 10-day quarantine because we have to see if there's any more signs for rabies. Um, so he goes to the pound, and then we get flashbacks of Thor's childhood. And he realizes he was born in a pound. And he imagines the doc, the, the veterinarians picking them up and taking them away because he never sees them again. He imagines them as the angel of death. Not as like um not as like a dream sequence. He just calls them that. And he gets picked up and he thinks he's gonna go, right? But instead he goes out to the front with everyone in the in the pound, and every animal is you know yowling and crying and everything, wanting to get picked. In comes uh the family, right? Mom, dad, Brett, and the kids. Dad does not like he doesn't want like a dog. He doesn't like he just wants to be here because the kids want a dog. Um little Teddy, who is in the book resenting Thor, picks Thor, right? Which just makes it all ironic and sad that they don't get along anymore because he's the reason Thor is part of the family, because he fights with dad saying, I want this dog. Oh no, he's Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on the show, let's let's clarify that. By the way, yeah, on the show, I've never. I well, no, I did read uh, the first two books, but I can't remember any of them. Your 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 great great uh, cousins, uncles, mother's ass, uh, George R. R. Martin's very disappointed. Former roommate, he's so upset with me right now. But uh, it's it's ironic because Dad did not want the dog and now they are best friends and dad is just can't go wrong and just loves thor and is the one most heartbroken about this man this is so that's so strange uh the breakout does happen where it's teddy and brett breaking in and um they decide to let all the animals go oh fuck yeah hell yeah (laughs) liberation motherfucker viva la resistance exactly uh but their thinking was because um, if it's just Thor, they would know who broke out the dog. Sure. Makes sense. Smart kids. Yeah. They open all these kennels and all these rabies dogs come out and just bite them to death. Oh, they'd be somewhere else. Alf is there fucking dragging his fucking mug against the fucking chain link fence. However, like this does open up like an opportunity to have like an ending that I'm, I'm assuming didn't happen, which is like Thor leading a pack of dogs who then kick Ted's ass. Like, oh, that would have been great. <laughs> oh my god, now you're talking, dude. Oh, that'd be so fucking rad. Eat him up like kibble. But this is where, like, uh, like I would have loved as a story beat where it's like, all right, so Ted, little Teddy, proved his manhood. Thor respects him, right? No, oh. no. What happens is, is that Ted is like, come on, Thor, out of the cage. And Thor's like, but I'm a bad boy. I'm not in the family no more. But then he's like, but but Teddy's part of the pack and I have to protect him because he's so small and pathetic and out, I outrank him still, I guess, or whatever. So I got to do it. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. You suck. Oh, man. <laughs> Fucking weakling Ted. So, like, 
yeah, Thor's kind of an asshole at times because he's like, there's another point where he's like, there's like small dogs around him. And he's like, you're barely a dog. I'm a German shepherd. Fuck you, dog. I mean, he's right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's also right. So we're, we're approaching the end of this, right? So the final battle shreds. It's fucking awesome. That's honest. Yeah, no, no, it's rad. But the final battle consists of Janet finding Ted in the woods Way after he should be fucking tied up to a tree or or handcuffed to a tree. And during this, she's like, Ted, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, ah, my secret's out, sis. Now you know. Now you gotta die. Sorry. I love that he becomes a cartoon villain. Like, he's half transformation. He's like, well, you stupid bitch. He's like, I was gonna come out here and just handcuff myself to a tree. But no, 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 (laughs) no. Yeah, nobody could know now. Now you know you're gonna tell everybody. So guess what? I'm gonna eat you and your kid. And blame it on the dog. And this is where you get these horrible transformation effects where it's like... Yeah. I don't know. It's like a warp effect on the face and on the chest. And it's like... interspliced with this awesome makeup and again like I keep joking about the shoe the foot exploding out of the fucking tennis shoe oh it's so good when that fucking foot comes out of that Nike it explodes and it's awesome but like we talked about it in the beginning of the episode but like you know Steve Johnson's uh, XFX they did like eight or nine makeups that they were supposed that that were given to the digital effects team the the compositing effects team and they were supposed to make it good but it just it just doesn't look right and again the director's cut excises this entire sequence where it's digital so like you see you see the one makeup of ted you see the foot bust out of the fucking uh sneaker and then it cuts and then the next time you see the werewolf, he's like, how, you know, he turns to the camera. It looks great. You know what it looked like? It Okay, so, like, say what you want about Guyver, but Guyver had a few great transformations when people were turning in from human to Zoonoid or human to Guyver. All practical, though, bud. All practical. And then Guyver 2 has that one shot where the villain Arlen transforms into a Zoonoid form in all CGI warp, and it looks like fucking dog shit. It's so bad. It does look like dog shit. Because in, in previous transformations, like, their clothes are ripping off, and, like, they're, you can see that, like, their bodies are hideously transforming. Arlen goes from... Regular man in polo shirt to fully naked Zoonoid in just one gleaming effect, and it's so fucking jarring looking. <laughs> Arlen the Zoonoid, not to be confused with Arlen Haro from the Phantom Zone podcast. <laughs> Arlen Crane from the guy who, who, when he found out that he shared the name, freaked the fuck out over it. <laughs> Which is a great bad guy, by the way, in that movie. Oh, I love Arlen Crane. He's so good. So so Thor runs home from the pound. Well, yes, but Smith, what is the reveal like in the book to the family of Ted being the werewolf? So understand, like, Dad do, does most of these scenes, so everyone's sleeping. Dad is waiting. Uh, does not bring a gun. There's no gun in the in the house. Except the two... Except Ted Jr. and the other kid going to break Thor out. Yes, no one knows about that. So the climb up. So so mom and the young girl and dad are at home. Okay. Dad's waiting till uh, Ted leaves and follows him in. And then we see uh, he sees Ted about to apply the handcuffs to the tree. And is like the transformation is described as like 
Um, dad is seeing like, did he, did he, did his face just get more hair as I'm talking to him? That's really weird. Oh, okay. There's a line in, in the movie where Ted goes and, um, uh, Janet being like, Oh, look at little Janet playing Nancy drew over here, which is such a better line than in the book where Ted goes to Tom and is like, Oh, Tom playing James Bond over here. Ugh. Sherlock Holmes. There you go. Again, Eric Red coming through with the fucking better writing, dude. I gotta tell you something. Ted saying that to Janet, like in that way, is like it's condescending as hell. It's it's condescending as hell because, like, it again, it's I'm addressing the point that like this is a woman, this is a mother, and like he chose to tear down her entire <laughs> her entire gender in one fell swoop. Like, yeah, a lawyer, by the way. Well, yeah, but it's also the thing of like he's a little brother and. Janet has been the you know they they do they do this a couple times in the movie but like she's like oh I'm always right and he's like yeah you are sis it's super annoying and this is kind of the culmination of that where he's like yeah well fuck you yeah and he find and he, and, the, and there in this he throws it back in her face it's like yeah he's like oh you had to come out here you had to be right well guess what you're right and it's gonna bite you in the ass literally literally and like I said Ted had to be selfish I mean as as a little brother I feel that. <laughs> Like, uh, like as a little brother, I do feel that, but, um, like the sister brother dynamic in the, in the movie is kind of off. Yeah. Like if my sisters found like my handcuffs or whatever, <laughs> like, whoa, fucking titanium steel, maximum security, high tempered steel Smith. What do you say? My sister would run out of the room and bleach her eyes exactly and never speak of that moment ever again my sister would be like what is this for a movie and she would look at me cr- and she would look at me cross like just like a week after that and just be like the fuck is wrong with you like <laughs> yeah a sister would not say uh what she say in the movie like you're gonna be really interesting to have around here it's like ew no why yeah i don't know is she gonna watch him in the in his airstream fuck somebody but like uh that that was just a weird dynamic but um it, it kind of made sense for like to the to the brother-in-law and to ted having this back and forth um like it's it's dad that finds the handcuffs and he's like thinking like because they, they know marjorie's dead and they think like oh that's a weird momentum but okay oh they do know in the books so so what happens in the book with marjorie how do they know she's dead uh, I think I mentioned um, where like there was like a trial and everything, and they like they knew. Yeah. Oh yes, I'm sorry. Yes, you did. I'm sorry. Yeah, you did. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but yeah, they knew that uh, she was dead. So t- uh, dad sees the handcuffs and he's like, "Oh, again, you know, you know, whatever memorandum uh, memorial you want of her. Okay, you guys probably had kinky sex, whatever." Ugh. Oh, my fucking skin. The book is weirdly horny. Yeah, you were mentioning that. I think we're gonna get to it soon. At towards the end but before that the movie man this is the culmination so we said how uh janet uh confronts him in the woods and in the book it's the dad but uh ted turns into the fucking werewolf and chases janet in the movie uh back to her house and man this is great she runs back in uh the gun that she was gonna take but she didn't take she fucking grabs and this werewolf fucking 
busts through the fucking bay window and it's amazing it's all very good this is it's like it, it is a it, it's a friday the 13th set piece with a fucking werewolf like it's great dude and he chases her around he chases her around the fucking uh the side of the house to go up the stairs and she runs up the stairs and it fucking like hits the banister and like breaks the entire banister and shit it's very intense it's really good it's not like t uh, like a typical werewolf for like i don't know no it's like fighting a fucking gorilla like this thing is just a it's a brute again like i can't stress enough the fact that like this is the best practical werewolf ever in film history in my opinion with the exception of american werewolf and even the howling but this thing has a range of motion that those two just don't have, right? The the dog soldiers ones are great, but the dog soldiers ones are so numerous and like they're lit differently. This thing is so yeah starkly lit and like because you get that wide eyed expression the whole time, it just adds to the fucking fear factor. Dude, the the eyes yes really get me. The eyes are like these big green bulbous eyes with these pin fucking pupils in them and they're just it the again I, I think i said at the beginning of the episode but like the wild the primal fear is in this thing's face it's and like it's not like a wolf man where like you can see lon cheney it's an animal no 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 no. it's a hundred percent animal yeah it's a hybrid yes yeah it's a wolf on two legs it's fucking scary it, it's an anthropomorphic wolf is what it is with fucking biceps like <laughs> yeah it's a bipedal fucking wolf dude it's it's disturbing looking because it's yeah i i, I we didn't even really go over this but like there's minimal hair on this thing, okay? It's a man body with, like, scraggly wet hair. And that has always stuck with me. It's so creepy. And again, Steve Johnson's, like, original experience, it just or his original inspiration, just, like, carried through to this so much that, like, it reflected on me, and I was like, that... If there's another werewolf, like, it has to be just as good or better than this one. Yeah. And so it makes it look less like a lycanthrope, more like a fucking mutant. Like, it doesn't look, it doesn't look supernatural at all. It looks like a fucking mutation. Agreed. She throw, she fucking drops a grandfather clock on it, and it just, like, smashes it. And uh, she ends up running into the kid's room because she thinks he's sleeping, but he's gone because Brett went out to go save Thor. That... Uh, happens only she runs up to Debbie she notices the kids are gone and like goes over to Debbie oh goodness the little girl's still upstairs right yep um and Ted and Tom the dad do have like a fight through the woods Tom manages to to outrun it a little bit during the transformation and he throws some rocks at like its face breaking some cheekbones hurting the ear and stuff oh fuck ow um he climb he climbs a tree and this, is, I guess, is where they got the idea for the tree scene. So um, the Ted Wolf, he tries to climb, but Tom, you know, smashes on the knuckles, trying to keep him off. Oh, shit! But then um, he's thinking. Ted Wolf is thinking and runs back to the house. Oh, oh easy fucking prey. Mm-hmm. Mom is outside wondering what the, all the commotion is, why, why no one is in the house, and then sees Ted Wolf runs back in, grabs a butcher knife, runs up the stairs, can't find Brad, can't find uh, little Teddy, goes to Debbie. And it's like the movie, almost like perfect recreation, smashes through that door, just 
bum rushing it. Oh. And then Thier comes Thor, jumps right on its back, and they have like this this fight in this really tiny room. Yes, that's such a great part of the movie, dude. Because like, uh, so Mariel Hemingway like goes into Brett's room, and the fucking werewolf comes up and like smashes through the door. Now this is the first time you see it in like a full stark light. And you can really see just how great this werewolf looks. Because if it was any other design, I feel like it would have fell apart completely. But it's even more scary because it looks like a fucking, I don't know what, a man wolf with mange? And it's just like this wild-eyed fucking monster in this room. And, And again, the kid comes up. Uh, Brett comes upstairs and Thor comes upstairs and uh, it's his whole this is the final battle right well he, he grabs Brett by the throat and lifts him off the ground like he's about to rip his head off it's fucking scary dude he grabs Dennis the Menace and picks him up by the throat and then mom's like get the fuck off my son and she shoots him with the fucking uh, she shoots him six times six times dude she's got that fucking uh, Loomis school dude she empties that chamber on him yeah oh she sure does but Thor fucking beats his ass and this is the uh, this is the scene I was talking about earlier where Ken Kersinger's in the suit and they had that fucking Russian border uh, attack dog run at him and dude they're fucking they're like bare knuckle fighting in this fucking scene <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a good scene. Thor gets thrown into the fucking lamp on the ceiling, and like she shoots the shit out. Like uh, uh, Janet shoots the shit out of it, and then uh, Thor like jumps at the werewolf, and they fucking blow out the window and fall down the fucking roof, and like off the roof. That scene is fantastic because like she unloads the fucking gun on him, and like Thor is like like not incapacitated, but like catching his breath. Yeah, Ted is just taking like six shots to the chest, and he's like. That hurt, but here I come. And Thor, and it specifically cuts to Thor looking off the ground like, yeah, no. And then just runs and fucking tackles this fucking werewolf through a fucking... Dude, out the fucking window, down the fucking uh, roof, and onto the ground. God, it's such a fucking good-looking stunt, too. Dude, it's it looks great. And then we have this wonderful scene where, like... The dog is beat up. The werewolf's beat up. We have this kind of like King Kong heartbeat thing going on in this scene. And Thor looks like the initial shot is like, oh, no, the dog's dead. And then like, yeah, the wolf starts moving. And I like how Ted Wolf is like, yeah, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting out of here because I'm going to die. I've been shot six times and I'm getting my ass kicked by a dog. Like, I'm out of this fucking shit. Six times! He gets up to leave, and Thor sits up like, Motherfucker! (laughs) Bitch! So, Ted Wolf goes out to the woods, and the morning comes, and, uh... I love that the implication is that Thor got up and searched for his ass all fucking night. Well, well, he's already done it before, right? So, the werewolf... so, 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 Ted Wolf turns back into Ted, and he's beat the fuck up, dude. I mean... Uh, Michael Paré has bites and bruises all over him. He's he's half dead. He's he's mostly dead. K- kudos to Paré for physically going all in on this, like whenever it was possible, like to be covered in that much, like just gunk. Oh, and P.S. He was like he he even said in his interview he was like yeah I was up I was up at four in the morning got into my makeup for eight hours did my scenes for twelve hours 
took all the makeup off, went to sleep for four hours, and then woke up at four again to fucking get back in the makeup. So Damn. Yeah, man. He was a trooper for sure. Dedication. He's in the woods, and Thor rolls up on him, and uh, Tad's just like, fucking do it. Do it. Just kill me. End this. Do it. Kill me. I'm here. Do it. Kill me. End this. And uh, Thor does. Rips his fucking throat out and kills his ass. I, well, I love the the initial the, like the pause like Thor walks up to him and it's not like he's not doing bad dog face like he's looking at him like just very plainly. No, he he's actually ashamed kind of. Yeah, he's looking down and then like he's like parrot like Ted looks at him and he's like finish it. Yeah, because he's like you're my uncle Ted. I love you. Yeah, and there's a growl and then he runs towards the camera. I like that they don't show anything because like I one i feel like watching thor viciously murder this man as a human being would be tra- traumatizing but like also it doesn't need it doesn't need it it doesn't need it like yeah and it's a fucking hero shot with a dog like <laughs> yeah so so smith so smith how does this fucking end dude <laughs> so this is we we just described to you the end of the film how does this end in the book so mom gets her uh th- there's no like get the fuck off my son but mom does get like the big defending mom moment um instead of a gun uses a butcher knife on uh ted's back so just going just at it oh my god she stabs the werewolf like a whole bunch of times and then that's amazing and that combined with like thor biting and slashing at him like ted wolf looks at this and he's like all right i'm out and starts running just running (laughs) (laughs) then uh then thor follows tracks him throughout the night and then like the same thing happens they they meet up ted is alive but obviously still smells like the bad thing in, in Thor's mind. And uh, Ted is like being like, ah, oh, Thor, we meet again. Just do it. And like you said, um, kills him off. Is it visceral in the book? Yeah, rips out his trachea. Oh, he straight up rips his fucking throat out. Yeah. Right out. Um, but then it's not over. Um, Thor passes out and you think like, oh no, no, no. Is he like, is he, is he like all like just exhausted from the affair, I guess? Exhausted. Yep. Um, so we, this is where we find out about Flopsy, uh, settling for $5,000 cause, um, Tom dad is on the phone. Fuck that fucking scumbag. It's like a prologue, right? Or, um, an epilogue. I'm sorry. Epilogue. Epilogue. Yeah. Yeah. Then he talks to the sheriff and this is where we learn about Ted doing research in the libraries. Oh my God. They don't tell you that till the very end. Shit. Um, the sheriff asked him like, okay, what happened? And they're like, Ted got attacked outside by this crazy animal. I don't know. And Sheriff is like, you're 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 defending someone, aren't you? And and Tom, being the lawyer, is like, well, I, I may or may not be. This is off the cuff, right? Well, no, not really. Um, so they go in a back and forth, and this is the part where I'm like, I'm very I'm very iffy about. Um, Thor Thor is in the basement, and he's not eating. He's not eating. He's not drinking, and he's like soiling himself. And I'm think you would think like, is he sick? Is he infected with werewolf, or whatever? Mm, maybe. In the movie, there's that really nice jump scare that was really good. We'll we'll talk about it. Hold on. It's just that Thor is really really sad. 
he he killed Uncle Ted, so he did. He feels like he betrayed the family, is what you're saying, right? In in the book, it's described as like there's dad's law and natural law, and natural law is you defend a pack, but you don't kill within the pack. And technically, Ted was within the pack, so he he defied a law. So now he is bad dog, and that's what he thinks himself as. He doesn't deserve to eat food. Doesn't deserve to drink. Oh, what a good boy! He is the goodest of boys. Oh, but. Like this is like a week of him not doing this, so he's frail and everything. And then in comes Tom downstairs, drunk, just sad that Thor is doing this, and is like demanding Thor to eat. And Thor, and this is when like Thor's like, all right, and starts eating the juicy red steak that Tom's been giving him. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> There's some steak in the fridge. I fucking want some right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I'm thinking about it. So it's like a whole chapter of just being like, he's not, he's just really sad. And I, I Thor has to be a little humanoid in order for us to like get his perspective and everything. And I get that. But like how it's stretched down, how it's explained, uh, it, it's almost too much of, um, of, a, of um, a suspension of disbelief. Like a dog can feel guilty. I, I can get that. But, like, how it's set up in the book, it just kind of... I was hoping, like, maybe he was sick or something. Like, I love the fact that he's alive at the end. He's Yeah. He's alive, and the last line is, like, you're a good dog, Thor, from Dad. Fuck yeah. He is a good dog. Okay, well, that fucking rules, dude. That's very affirming to the dog, too, because it's like... It is, yes. Like, oh, I just fucking killed... Ted, who's part of the pack, but he's also a werewolf. He's also the bad thing, P.S., and he was going to kill the whole family. Yeah, but, um, like, he, sh- like, everyone, sh- like, the book describes, like, everyone's showering him with affection. Everyone loves him. Like, everyone's, like, shut. They're all telling him, you are a good boy. You are a good dog. You did good things. Everyone, including Dad. But then at the end, Dad just is like, you're a really, really good boy. And Thor's like, okay, I am. Oh, dude, he's giving him Red Rocket. He's fucking jacking his little thingy off. Wow. Wow. No, that's earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Almost went a whole episode without having to go down that corner. <laughs> he's jacking it right in the mom's mouth. She says, just open up, honey. Open up, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kamdar's actual origin. He's giving him the fucking lipstick, dude. Put it spearing on my lips, good boy. He just needs a little uh, hair gel. Come on. <laughs> Pours it in his hair. So, so in the movie, Janet, uh, Muriel Hemingway, does the same kind of thing to Thor. Like, oh, you're such a good boy. Oh, you did such a great job, blah, blah, blah. And then Thor is like a dog werewolf. And this creature thing is like, and then and then she wakes up. And, and then Jabba slaps C-3PO. And then he's like, stupid protocol droid and then, then salacious crumb is like okay won't get chewbacca yeah but you know i love that idea i love the idea of a werewolf being able to kind of pass that on to another animal you know what i mean it, it it's kind of like it's kind of like the diseases that that are born in other animals that we kind of uh zoonotic yeah 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 absolutely zoonotic diseases are diseases that can be passed from from animal to human and i believe human to animal correct and like lycanthropy i don't know like it's never been explored that i've seen except this movie west craven uh in cursed 
Oh, fuck that movie, dude. But there is a were-dog. Yeah, but somebody saw this movie and was like, oh, remember that movie that nobody give a shit about, <laughs> Bad Moon? Were-dog. But yeah, there's, you know, there's a were-dog in this, and um, it's a dream. But but it's a great idea. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was a good jump scare, because, like, you know, you have your, you're such a good boy, dog. You're such a good boy, Thor. And then, rah! Brack! Well, also, like, I'm glad it's a jump scare and not, like, the ending, because, like, what a fucking bummer that would be. Yeah. I know, but what a great ending, because Thor's all fucking bandaged up, and Mom and Brett are there, and they're like, oh, you're such a good boy, and everybody's okay, and everybody's loving each other and, and petting the dog and shit, and that's fucking sweet. Also, like, it's it's a movie that fights the urge to kill the dog. Like, it bucks that trend so hard and so efficiently and so cathartically it's fan fucking tastic like he's the hero he's the hero connor he is the fucking it it's a it's a superhero movie where a dog is a superhero (laughs) yeah which people didn't understand when they fucking saw this and like that's stupid and it's like no it's actually brilliant you fucking idiot like how could you kill the dog you can't kill the dog but uh, to uh, to to Smith's point, like <laughs> the Red Rocket or the fucking oh yeah yeah like like in the book it's like it's like oh you're a good dog Thor, give me yeah, okay that's great here you go have some beef or something oh yeah the ending like it's like you you go through pages and pages of of everyone trying really hard to affirm to Thor that he did a good job. And all it took was drunk Tom by himself just saying it over, but more affirmatively, like more assertively, just being like, you get over here, eat this food, and I'm going to cry and be sad and just eat it. And then that that's where it clicks. <laughs> I'm not Uncle Ted. Eat this thing. You're fine. You killed the bad thing you're good you killed lon cheney jr you're a good dog (laughs) (laughs) so where are we putting this fellas fucking shelf this is one of the few movies we watched where like it like it already had its place like well before we you know we even approached this like oh yeah this was one of the movies that like i gobbled up from the video store that um that I have the same level of built-in nostalgia for it that, like, Joe has for all these, like, other, you know, I would say weird-ass movies that we've watched this year, especially. Also this one. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one, too. Like, God, like, this is, like, this This set the standard for, like, when I was a kid, I was like, that's it. Like, this is the bar for werewolves. Like, this is, this is, I, to this day, I have not seen a better-looking fucking werewolf. It hasn't been matched since. No, and, like, it's mostly because, like, they don't film a werewolf like this. They don't film werewolves, like, up close and, like, in light and, like, just in this much of a suit. It's also just, like, a very... It's an effectively small movie where it takes place, like I said, primarily in the woods and someone's backyard and a house. And the cast of characters is small, so it creates this very intimate setting... And very much like late phases, when you shrink the focus down to something a lot more intimate, like, you can take it, I would say, a lot more seriously, because then it's not just, like, it's not a werewolf movie, it's a threat to it, it's a family threat, like, they're, they're, they're def- it's, it's defense, it's like a home invasion kind of thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think of it like that, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, get out of my space, but you spin it from a, a mother or a father or a, a sibling to a fucking dog, 
and it immediately grants this like novelty value to this movie that I don't think I've seen ever anywhere else ever. Like I don't, I can't think of a movie where the dog is the hero against like some kind of like a threat like this. Like, and it's in, if it is, like, it's not a Disney movie. Right, right, right. I was going to say it's a Disney movie. <laughs> it's not a fucking, it's, it's not a Homeward Bound movie. It's not a fucking kids movie. Like, it is a, it's, it's taking the idea of a dog as a protagonist as seriously as it possibly can and runs to the fucking hills with it and doesn't really trip up, like, outside of, like, the effects or anything like that. Like, narratively, it's very tight. The characters are fine. Michael Paré is just... It's great. Oh, yeah. And like we said, like, the dogs playing Thor are just, they're astounding. And I like, this is such a unique kind of, it's it's a movie dumpster-ass movie. Because it's, to me, it is a werewolf movie and a horror movie that you aren't going to find, it's an experience you're not going to find anywhere else. Like, this is very pure, and nobody, I think, has done this concept and this execution better so far. I don't think anybody's talking as in-depth about this film as we have. No, which is fine, because, like... No, but that's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's a good thing, because, like, it's... For all with all the shit we heap on Frankenstein Unbound, like, that's a movie that really... It's it's a show-defining movie, because, like, we did find this weird fucking movie that, like, in that movie, is you know, regard, it's not as successful, but, like, this, like, it's so good... And deserves to be chattered about as much as possible, and like it's not talked about enough. And when you do meet people, they're like, "Oh yeah, I love Bad Moon." It's like, "Yeah, well, how much do you love Bad Moon?" Because I guarantee you, I love it more. <laughs> well, it's also the thing of like, what's your favorite werewolf movie? Does this even come up? Yeah. And if it does, like, kudos to you. But like, I don't know many people. I mean, you know, two thirds of this uh, podcast have, or right now, two thirds of or two fourths of this have not even seen this fucking movie before we recorded this yeah yeah i would put it on my shelf all right i would put the book on my shelf as well just you know just not near any of my children's books (laughs) that's so bizarre that it's a young adult novel a ya uh... it's a ya novel it is because i mentioned the the word dad porn before and what i meant by that was that like (laughs) dad is the hero dad knows best daddy leather daddy porn yes yeah yeah it's like the person who would enjoy this most would be like your typical dad at the barbecue talking about like yeah i read this book thor it's great it's about a dad who's really awesome and his best friend thor and they fight a werewolf and it's great um and then there's also like the the sexual aspects of it and the violent aspects of it like obviously beheaded kitten um eviscerated bodies and like Thor smelling the sex of mom and dad all over the house. Cause apparently when the kids go to school, it's like, oh, it's, it's, you know, clothes are off all over kitchen table, rug, everything. And Thor loves it. Cause it's like, they're the mating pair. It's like, I don't need to know Thor. I don't need to know that you're loving that your, your uh, pack parents are, are going at it. And then, of course, uh, I sent you guys in the message the the choking scene, the choke me daddy scene. Oh, God, the choke me daddy Thor scene, yeah. Yeah, right, so the context is that Thor has been acting weird, um, has been, I think at this point, he's either growling or he nipped at little Teddy to get to Ted. Um, 
so um, dad's janking this um, this choke collar. In the book, he has a choke collar at all time. So this is, this is the only thing I'm going to read from the book on this podcast. <laughs> Go for it, man. All right. So he's, he's grabbing him. He wished he could make his tail stop wagging, but he couldn't even slow it down. The best he could do was restrain it a little. So it thumped the floor a little less loudly. His tail wasn't wagging from pleasure, of course, far from it. It was the intimacy of his engagement with dad that made his tail move. I hate it. For this awful moment, only he... (laughs) Let me keep going. Okay. For this awful moment, only he and dad existed. There was a certain terrible excitement, almost a sexual feeling to the situation. As miserable as he felt, he almost got an erection oh red rocket dude lipstick popping that you can you can take all that and you can throw it into a fucking volcano we fucking need that yeah don't need it and then throughout the other parts of this page he's like calling thor a bad dog and i'm like yeah thor is a bad dog isn't he and i'm like <laughs> thor's the baddest dog he's a bad dog he's a bad dog he, he's a bad dude. he's the british your dog's a good dog and thor's a bad dog he's got his hand on the shaft dude he's fucking going up and down who's a bad dog Tell me I'm a bad dog, Dad. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, I said it to you because it's so f- just out of nowhere. It's fucking bonkers, dude. It's like that part in Orca where it's like. Oh, yeah. Occasionally thought, but not all the time. He like what his sister's like in bed. <laughs> I kind of want to fuck my sister and I want to fuck the dog, but who knows? Oh, God. Is it a sin to fuck a dog? I mean. <laughs> I, Is it a sin to fuck a werewolf? Maybe. It doesn't take away from the overall pleasure I have with the book. Um, Wayne, he's really good at plotting things in and and like planting it and then paying it off at the end. Like I said, I was surprised that Kitty wasn't the reason that Thor went to the pound because it's all set up there. That he has blood in his mouth, the cat's there, but that doesn't happen. Um, there's also like plants of like the bear finds a carcass and like you expect it to be a corpse and it happens. It's like, oh, okay, I'm awarded my guessing game because I know the tropes. But it's sure it's a fun little read. I don't I I don't think twenty dollars worth for a collector item for Joe, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Fun beach read, um, especially since they have a beach scene in the book. Um, the movie, too, was very fun. Like, I think I was the one who was most um, negative about it, but it was just me having some fun, poking some fun at it. Sure. It is a pleasant surprise because I said in the beginning, like, I don't know many good werewolf movies. But I prefer werewolves over vampires, but people always go for the, like, there's always a vampire movie. You don't see many werewolf movies. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's just easier to do. Yeah. Throw some fangs in that fucker's mouth and, oh, he's a vamp? He's vampire. But to do a werewolf is, is complicated and uh, difficult, for sure. Exactly. So when it's done right, it's done right. This movie was done right. Yeah, it's totally on the shelf for me, 100%. I mean... Uh, just in comparison to the novel, like, I think Eric Red has did an amazing job at adapting, uh, that novel into a more concise, uh, very streamlined type of film while keeping the essence of the novel in a, uh, in a real way. And goddamn, Steve Johnson coming with the goods and Bill Corso coming with the goods. Um, this is my favorite werewolf on film to date uh has not been topped yet 
Ken Kurzinger in the fucking suit doing the thing. Um, excellent, excellent fucking movie. Uh, not my favorite werewolf movie, but my fair, my favorite werewolf on film. Um, and it's been on the shelf for many years, and we've been talking for more uh, for, for for a long time about it. So, uh, oh yeah, on the shelf, a hundred percent. Yeah, this movie's absolutely on the shelf. Uh, you know, I heard about this movie for a while, and you know, you'd occasionally see clips on YouTube because you know, if you if you follow the genre or even the subgenre, if you will, of werewolves, and you're on YouTube, you you might see some shit whether you want to or not. This is fact. So I saw a couple scenes here and there, you know, over the years of you know Thor going and you know one on one with the werewolf, but I had no context for any of that, and I'm it didn't spoil it for you, did it? No, no, not at all. Like you know, because especially when you find out the uncle's the werewolf right in the beginning it's like oh okay that's that's nothing yeah and just just watching the movie and sitting down with it and finally you know watching the whole thing and one sitting for the show i really enjoyed it a lot and um i don't know i don't really have a ton to add like the directing is really good on this the camera works really good the lighting especially yeah um it doesn't like jump out uh, in a way, like, the colors of the lights, it's just the way it's utilized a lot with the fog. Uh, I, I really like that. And just the, uh, the characters are really cool. And again, like, any, like, really, uh, intense scene or, or action sequence just really gets you sucked in. Uh, I, 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 maybe it's not coming across the way I'm trying to say it, but I hope you get what I mean. Yeah, it's very, it's very enthralling and scary. Everything is working in favor of something else that's, like, like, all the pieces are working together cohesively and, like, almost flawlessly, I would say. Yeah, and all the corners are cut from the novel, and that's what makes this movie nice and tight and, uh, excellent. It's very concise and tight. Yeah, no, it's definitely on the shelf. I, I really don't have anything else to really add. Uh, check it out for sure. And uh, uh, Smith, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on on YouTube with the show Taking a Page, where I talk about books and adaptations and the history behind them. Um, look out in the future for videos about Dracula. Um, but if you want some goodness about <laughs> um, another famous monster, I got some Frankenstein videos up where uh, I talk about Frankenstein Unbound, the book. Um, but if you want um, the folks over here, movie dumpster and um, see what everyone looks like, uh, Connor with a skeleton. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Check out the Orca video. Uh, that was actually a whole lot of fun, guys. That was a lo- that was a really fun episode to do. Oh, for sure, dude. And uh, where can uh, everybody support you? Uh, you know, financially. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were doing that. Um, Patreon.com forward slash CB Smith taking a page. Um, I'm using the funds over um, at Patreon to help pay for a laptop that I've been using to record tonight, which we've had technical difficulties. <laughs> Please go support Smith in his endeavors. He's an excellent dude. He wants to give you the goods. He wants to make good videos for you. Uh, go support him on Patreon. And you know what else? You know who else is on Patreon? Uh, Movie Dumpster. Who? <laughs> Patreon.com slash Movie Dumpster. Go and sign up for our 5 or $10 tiers. You get access to our watch-alongs, our commentary tracks. You get you net yourself some uh, Movie Dumpster swag. Sign up for that $2 tier. You get mailbag, mailbag videos, mini-sodes, all kinds of good shit. Um, and we are on the cusp 
of our Trick or Trash Month, folks, okay? We're going right into it, so uh, stay tuned. Dumpster Goblin's coming back. We're going to review some great movies. We're going to have a great time. <laughs> I love the Dumpster Goblin. <laughs> oh, dude, it's going to be a fucking blast. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. And guess what? For no money at all, you go to that Apple podcast, leave us a five-star review, um, and, uh, le- and uh, yeah, leave us a review. Uh, because, you know what? It helps us get out of the bottom of the dumpster and into her eardrums. And, uh, yeah, that, that is more, that, that is worth more than probably anything else you can do. Go leave that review, please. Um, so we have a new episode of After Dark coming out pretty soon. I think Arlen's calling it Connor. Is that the Phantom Zone? This is the Phantom Zone podcast. Yeah, the one from, that features Arlen A. Haro. Oh, yeah! And Hunter Davenport, yeah! This one is entitled Connor Goes to Jail, uh, because I (laughs) opened the show with a reprehensible joke that ties us into... Uh, talking about Don't Breathe and Don't Breathe 2 and how illogical and, and weird it seems that they made a fucking sequel to that movie. We're talking about Venom, we're talking about Matrix, we're talking about a lot of stuff and what I would consider a plus-size episode. It's probably one of my favorite episodes we've done in a long time. Um, also, we're going to be returning to a the thing that uh, we recorded about 12 episodes for, I would say, maybe even 10, and then did a hiatus for, and now we're going back to do more. It's the 3AM Files. It's kind of our... Our, uh, uh, we're scratching the spooky itch Ooh. kind of thing. We're talking about weird stories. We're talking about supernatural stuff. We're talking about anything that kind of floats that fancy. Um, and it's got a really cool aesthetic to it. It's something we take a little more seriously. You know, we don't have a lot of the toys that we have over at Movie Dumpster. Eric records from his phone because he just likes doing this. But it's something we put a lot of thought and energy into. And so that's coming back at some point. I think we're going to be dumping like a lot of episodes at once coming up once it's all done. So we're going fi- to be doing that over the course of the next like few months or so. So please look out for that. If you like this show and you like me at all, I don't know why, um, but if you do and uh, you've liked Arlen or Hunter uh, after they appeared in the shows, please go look up, uh, dig through the Phantom Zone catalog. It's fucking huge. Um, it's, it is massive. We have produced, like, between me, John Scott, Louis Gonzalez, uh, John Siler, like, all those, between this, like, this mega team that we've kind of inadvertently assembled over the past, like, four or five years, like, there's a, a fucking girth of content we've made um, that if you just want something to burn through, if you want some new content to listen to, like there is a fucking ton of it. So please give uh, my my first podcast child some love, uh, especially as like we're getting more excited about doing some new things. So yeah, that's about it. Oh hell yeah, dude! And and then Sean and I are gonna be over there for that fucking three a.m. files. You- yes, Sean's been on one an after dark once, and that was a delightful episode. We haven't got Joe on yet, but you know. We will. No, we haven't got me on yet because I got fucked on that werewolf shit. So we were we're bringing it back. We're doing it, baby. Here it comes. We might even get Sergio on there because Sergio's been listening too. Oh, let Serge come on. Yeah, fuck yeah, hell yeah. Um. Also, don't forget send all your goodies to Movie Dumpster at PO Box nine one eight Banger P A B A N G O R Pennsylvania one eight zero one three. If you want to send us some good stuff, and we'll open it up on our mailbag videos. So that's it. That's Bad Moon from 1996, directed by Eric Red. If you want some more good, bad, and god-awful movie goodness, head over to moviedumpsterpodcast.com and follow us on all of your favorite social media and streaming platforms. You can also head on over to our Patreon page and sign up for the 2 5 or $10 tiers for monthly exclusive content, or drop by our merch store and grab yourself uh, some non-committal swag. 
Yeah, and for no money at all, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to support your favorite show. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor McGraw. And I'm C.B. Smith. Thanks for visiting the dumpster.